0: Greg, stop floss dancing in front of your Yu Gi Oh cards. The mayor called. He's got a special project for us.
1: Does he want us to solve the housing crisis since we're so informed?
0: No, it's more important. We've got to come up with a nickname for Los Angeles.
1: Well, easy peasy lemon squeezy. It's La La Land.
0: Well, that's more of a moniker.
1: Mm, okay. Obviously, then. Surf City. No, that's an alias. How about Sleepy Hollow? That's a pseudonym that's taken, and there's also a story about the Headless Horseman, which in itself is a moniker, so still no. Let's not take any more stupid ideas from literature. Let's call a city Mark Twain. That's
0: a gnome to plume.
1: The only possible
0: nickname for Los Angeles is
1: 007. Well, sir, that's a call sign given by MI6 for their randiest field operative, so again, no. Well then, how about lunch sometime? That is a call to human resources, and don't make me turn you down again. How about? Los Angeles Hypertension, the silent killer
0: That's a condition And a moniker How about we call it Pajama party, my house, no rules I'm calling HR You tease
1: You know what, the nickname Right in front of our faces So obvious
0: Oh my god, of course It's in the name Okay, well let's get the mayor in here
1: Sarah, get the mayor in here Of Los Angeles Where do I keep her around? Oh yeah, the tapes Mayor, we've got it The new nickname of the city Los Angeles The
0: big, windy, easy city That never nicknames who are these guys?
1: The police. The mayor called the cops on us.
0: He called the pigs in here? The screws, the poison blue. Now they're putting us in handcuffs? Houdini bracelets? Get those clinkers off me. I don't need no Darby's on my wrists.
1: Oh, so you're kneeling us down execution cell, and now you're bringing out the guns, eh? What are you going to do with that hand cannon, that cat, that pea shooter? <laughs> and what, now you're going to pistol whip us? The old- Greg, Greg, Greg. Wake up! Mm -mm. They're digging our
0: graves! How close to death did you get? Pretty close. Then you must have seen what I saw. A lake of flames? No, 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 before that, before they realized who we were. It was a city filled with winged religious creatures. You mean those floss-dancing cherubs? No, no, the other ones. They were angels. It was a city full of them. I think I have the perfect nickname for Los Angeles.
1: Duh. And it only took a near-death experience at the hands of the mayor of the city.
0: Mayor, we're still alive, and I think we may have what you're looking for the new nickname of los angeles bean town that's a moniker take one go
1: go oh where are we going ready line I don't remember.
0: Could I get somebody to kick Greg off a set for me?
1: <laughs> These cameras are so bright. That's how cameras work, right? They're bright. Uh, Hi.
0: You know, when we say hello, who are we talking to? Are we talking to each other?
1: When I look at you eye contact wise, no I'm other. talking to you for you to respond to But when to you me. look
0: at my forehead, you're talking to, to the, the audience. audience as a whole. Yeah, I
1: wrote audience on your forehead. And I just, hello audience, how are you? Uh, how I- dare you? I wrote
0: love me on my eyelid, So when I <laughs> blink, you get to see that. But it's PG, just like Indiana Jones. PG-13. Oh, PG-13, No, well, that was PG. They made PG-13 for Indiana Jones. Love me. <laughs> so hello, welcome to episode 57 of LA Meekly, the podcast. Where
1: we talk about alley history things. Topic by topic by topic by topic by
0: topic. We're taking this city street by street. (laughs) This street, Darby. Strathern. Satakoi. What else do we say? What do we normally do up top? We haven't done this. We do.
1: We haven't done it in a while. We mm-hmm. just joke around, then we start getting into. You tell me enough, okay, and then you start getting into serious. That's usually what happens: is that you tell me I'm talking too much. I'm just trying to get the flavor going, okay. I'm trying to get everyone used to the sound of us being really. <laughs> are you in between changing podcasts right now? What are you going to pick? Spontaneous Nation. You're going to pick a lore. You're going to pick a life of a murder. Our
0: direct competitor, Spontaneous Nation.
1: Yeah. If you're like, I don't want to listen to this, you don't pick something that's like, eh, I've heard of this. No, you pick something better.
0: You're saying that we're better than spontaneous. Nation. Maybe the are we better than the Sliced Bread Podcast or the <laughs> Jesus Podcast? We're certainly bigger than that one.
1: Jesus had risen. We're better than that one. The Jesus of Nazareth Podcast. We're so I'm that's humbled. where they
0: smoke marijuana and read the Bible.
1: I'm humbled by them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm humbled to be in iTunes with them. What is it? It's September first, the day that this is coming out. Yes. Yeah. So what what have you done in the past month of August?
1: I went to the Sparrow Mart. I went to the Sparrow Mart at the Standard Hotel. That's uh, the felt thing. That's the felt market where everything was made out of felt, and yeah. there was felt covering the fridge and the ATM and uh, handcrafted, obviously. The woman who did the—I forget her name. I should look it up right now, but my phone. So my phone's over there. But of felt, also. Anybody who's following in the alley tags or—it it
0: was one of two pop-up exhibits of last
1: month, and it's been like on everyone's feed. And it's cool. I, I, I'm not making it sound like it wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal. I love felt. I love art and I really do love felt no one's ever questioned that I love arts and craft stuff my girlfriend described it to me and I thought it was gonna be like one item but it's like mm-hmm. a well stock yeah, yeah, yeah. market
0: so you could buy anything you could right? buy so yeah. then as the days go on There's you know the, it's it, it's like a hurricane's coming and, everyone, exactly. and we can't get resupplied. everyone
1: is packing their felt grocery cart with felt water <laughs> they're and fighting, yeah, they're fighting yeah. they're fighting each other my over. baby <laughs>
0: I need these felt power
1: bars <laughs> my felt baby is suffocating
0: I wanted to go to that but wasn't Stuff, it was kind of expensive. Well, not the to stuff. Go in, was, but the yeah, stuff was the stuff, expensive. stuff was expensive. It was nice to just be it was there. Cute I, though. I bought no, a little thing.
1: I bought a thing for a friend. Was it me? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see pictures before I went. So hearing about it when I, I thought it was going to be one thing yeah. that wasn't impressive and I went there, I'm like, oh, this is actually quite impressive.
0: Well, when you told me, you said I'm at a felt market, I, I said they have a whole market just to sell felt because I knew that you were looking for felt unrela- well, uh, unrelated, related, but unrelated to this. Yeah. And then you sent me a picture of some stuff and I was like, oh, so the market that sells loose felt also has these cool little creations, but there's a felt market. Yeah, <laughs> I, you just buy felt there? <laughs> I, how many How many rolls of this can I get? How many rolls of smiley strawberry can I get? But yeah, it looked cool. I wish I had gone cool, to that. Yeah. And it's yeah. all sold out now. Yeah, and I think and the exhibit's <laughs> over now,
1: so I shouldn't be talking about But I'll tell you something that I did do this month that always going to be there. I made a beautiful visit to Hollywood <sighs> Toe. Here, here we go. I made a... So- such a necessary trip to Hollywood Tow. I parked on Ivar and Yucca near the Knickerbocker, and I was towed from that spot. Not ten feet from me was a place how, where how much I longer could. after you parked. I want to say four to five minutes after I parked, yeah. I was towed.
0: Well, because we were meeting at the same place, yeah. and we were coming from a different place, and you were like, "I got a spot. I'm already there." Yeah. And I was like, how did you get a spot so quick? I said, "I hope it gets towed." But there,
1: <laughs> and I called <laughs> the tow
0: truck. I said, <laughs> "Look for this car." It was a whole uh, Waylon Jennings Richie <laughs> Valens situation.
1: <laughs> it wasn't Richie Valens. It was Buddy Holly. I parked that street a lot but I always park a little closer to Hollywood and I thought well I just found the first spot that I and you know it was a street that I park on all the time Yeah, I'm really surprised
0: because you're all, usually like whenever we park somewhere together you're making sure the parking is okay I'm very surprised uh, I frankly I'm disappointed I in mean
1: I, it's my fault because I got used to the habit of parking on this street mm-hmm. and having no problem and I park <laughs> late on that street and it's not a problem but I don't park on this particular space which is this space maybe the space behind me had a no tow thing above you can park you know two hour parking eight to six i didn't see an additional sign say oh after yeah. that we're gonna tow you a
0: lot of those signs in hollywood are like it's almost like turning the page in a book it's like no parking six to eight also no parking eight to, to six, six if exactly. you look at the one yeah. after
1: it it helps when they're on the same sheet on the same yeah square. it does
0: but obviously they don't want to help you with that that's
1: why i don't don't get towed in hollywood because i don't want them to make money more if you're if you're trying to find parking in hollywood don't park on yucca and ivar okay and don't give them the <laughs> money
0: an official la meekly boycott of yucca and ivar I
1: want Hollywood Tow to be burned to the ground. <laughs> call to action, <laughs> but through bankruptcy, nothing, <laughs> financially no burned flames, to the ground. No flames or no one getting hurt.
0: So hey, send us your stories of getting towed in Los Angeles. It, was it as romantic as Greg's
1: was? At the tow place, they had pictures when you're in the waiting area. Famous people
0: getting towed. They had
1: uh, <laughs> Clark Gable getting towed. Uh, they had pictures of like Hollywood landmarks, and I thought nobody wants this. They're trying, trying to, to make
0: it into a tourist you, destination. It, exactly.
1: What are you, are you trying to make it appealing? No one, <laughs> no one is here that wants to be here.
0: We have eight of Ashton Kutcher's cars ah, if you want to come look.
1: Just sit, you could sit he, in it for a thousand dollars. You could sit in Ashton it, Kutcher's
0: car. It's cheaper for him to just buy a new one. <laughs> well, my thing, uh, I went to the Garvey Ranch Park Observatory in Monterey Park as part of the Los Angeles Astronomical Society every Wednesday night in Monterey Park at this observatory they meet. I went there because they had come to where I work a few years ago and I had a, I, I, my dog broke my telescope as I told my professor my so profe- many times. So so many times and it, it's been broken for like four years and when they came in to the to where i work like three years ago i was like hey my telescope is broken can you fix it and they, they said they gave
1: me a wedgie <laughs> <laughs> they stuck <showed up> me <laughs> in the locker
0: and i said they were not that they were not those sorts of dorks
1: uh, you're looking for repairman dorks
0: <laughs> and they said yeah just bring it in we can do it for free uh, in my mind they said free and then so th- <laughs> three years later i finally go there and i was like hey do you remember me they said no and uh, then three
1: years ago you said you do this for free <laughs> <laughs>
0: i swear it's, and, it's in writing i wrote it down. (laughs) They didn't quite fix it there, but they said just Flip this over, buy this, and screw this in, and it works. It, you have a working telescope. I have a working telescope. Yeah.
1: You can now see Nibiru or whatever planet yeah. crazy people think. Yeah, Nibiru. Kill us.
0: Other than uh, giving me free repairs, yeah. you know, it's an observatory. So they had, you know, you go up in the observatory and you look in the telescope, and yeah. it's all these old, like, not old, well, old yeah. uh, retired JPL nerds just oh, like cool. bickering with each other. And they're like, no, no, you can't find Mars by going up to Venus. <laughs> and, and they're like debating, like, I can find, I, I know how to star hop, I can navigate.
1: To this on my own, but they're your people. <laughs> don't 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 mock them. These are your people. These are this is your clan.
0: It comes out of a place of love and fear. <laughs> well, you know, they showed us the moon. They showed us Saturn. They showed us. It's a really nice. They showed us Did Jupiter. Did they threaten to uh, show us Uranus? Show us
1: Uranus. <laughs> uh, speaking of Uranus, also it, send you to the moon. One of these days, Dang Bang zoom! I'm going to show you my anus.
0: <laughs> but it, really, speaking of Uranus, the park smelled like dog. Doo doo. Yeah. Dropping is an adult way to say it. But yeah, they they showed us the stuff. They were all really friendly. Obviously, they helped me out. It's free. You can go look at stuff. And people should, you know, people, because it's a big park and people are like playing baseball and stuff. And then they come in like, yeah, I want to see Venus. That's cool. And it was nice. And they had, uh, what?
1: No, go ahead. I'm going to ask a directional question. So go
0: ahead. Oh, it's north. And then they had (laughs) kids there. Um, And people were
1: protesting and I'm like, how much is a kid?
0: You can bring your kid there and basically you can make your own telescope with them. And that involves like you get this. They all have these like circular disks of, I don't know, some sort of plastic to make a telescope. You have to polish these against this stone. For forty hours, mm-hmm. so it's just like all these kids rubbing these pieces of like round plastic against these polishing stones. That's pretty cool. It was bizarre, but yeah, um, it's, uh, yeah. it's a cult.
1: It's a cult yeah. of Star worshippers. I
0: try. I, I tried snapping them out of it. Nah. They tried to bite my fingers.
1: <laughs> they threw snakes in my mailbox. Yeah, yeah. You told me that you were going, and I, I called you nerd. <laughs> and You went. And I called you nerd, and then you told me how fun it was. And I thought I want to
0: be. Their life. Because they're the people that also do the star parties. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, I keep thinking it's a telescope, and (laughs) I'm pointing my finger everywhere. It's my star god. They're the ones that do the star party. Now I'm, pointing, I'm pointing from above <laughs> down at you they're the ones that do the star parties at Griffith, Griffith Observatory territory. I went to one of those yeah, I do not remember if I
1: went recently or you not. did
0: you went when Mars was really close oh that's when I went yeah, yeah.
1: Mars Parking Ahead uh, we didn't make <laughs> what us did walk did you say Mars Parking Ahead yeah there was a big sign that said Mars Parking Ahead and it made me laugh so much and I put it on our Instagram stories <laughs> really? and people were like mm, they didn't say anything uh,
0: <laughs> well in space no one can hear you <laughs> laugh
1: <laughs> and yeah we had a walk up from the Greek and it was a long walk uh, I brought wine and I drank most of the wine and then I had the walked wall. down yeah. Yeah. those things are
0: Fun. yeah um, i've yeah. always wanted to go to one but Space? exactly that i've always wanted to go to one you know a planet <laughs> but it always just seemed like a hassle to, yeah. to get up there uh, i have a telescope now i don't I have, you know you could every s- night's a star party at my I house see,
1: i could check the parking at griffith observatory with my telescope <laughs> i had a fantasy of us going night hiking and bringing mm. your telescope and then i That'd thought be cool. i don't want to go night hiking <laughs> and i thought i'm out of shape Nah, i what
0: <laughs> Let's move on to our uh, reader question, reader, or listener question. No, no, no. They don't listen either. People who ask questions when we ask them to ask questions of the month.
1: People who follow us on social media, question of the month.
0: <laughs> so this month's question, it comes from Joel Samataro. So he asks, can you tell me, a very aggressive question, if I may, <laughs> can you tell me why the LA Flight Path Museum exists? Because when he asked that, I thought like what I imagined was one of those maps that shows like Southwest flies to all these yeah. cities, and it's just like a map of yeah. routes, and that's an what the museum plain. is. Yeah. yeah, but it's not that. It's I looked into it. I had never heard I had of never it.
1: heard of it either. Yeah, but yeah, Thank I looked, you for bringing uh, it up to us because we ha- there's so many museums that are so small and yeah. they get by you. And I'm getting more and more interested. Yeah, in these and the reason they things. get
0: by you is because people want to know about them by asking why does it exist. <laughs> <laughs> it opened in 2003. Uh-huh. It's at the South part of LAX it's not in LAX
1: you said it was closer to uh, it's uh, in El
0: Segundo it's kind of near the like downtown El Segundo area but it's just a little thing I don't know if you have to pay to get in it or not but it has like from what I saw like old stewardess uniforms from like TWA and Pan Am and stuff and they have like old luggage things with like I've been to Morocco and all these stickers all over it and then just like sort of memorabilia and paraphernalia of these old Defunct. I almost said debunked. Uh, TWA never happened. TWA is an inside job.
1: We all know. <laughs> we all know the flight isn't real, right? Man, <laughs> flying not real. It's an effects of chemtrails.
0: You're hallucinating because of chemtrails, chemtrails. which don't accurate. exist.
1: You see, bird. Chemtrails Plane. That's what happens. Is uh, that a
0: bird? Is a plane? No, it's a chemtrail. <laughs> but yeah, it it just seems like a cool old airport memorabilia, which yeah. sounds interesting, and I I want to go there.
1: Yeah, I don't know why it exists, but I'm happy it does. Like, yeah, I don't I, know I why. Feel... Why is
0: anything? I mean, what's the real? The real question is here. Why does anything
1: exist? <laughs> how do we get eyeballs? I like, how long did it take evolutionary for us to be able to see something? Well, God was like, oh, well, I don't know. They're, bucking, they're rubbing into stuff. I went to the Museum of Jurassic Technology, and although I enjoyed it, I'm like, what am I doing here? Why is this a thing? But I enjoyed it though, and I enjoy the idea of like historical myths having a spot but, still. but why
0: why is lacma there what, what are we trying to recapture the past move on everybody here's a flight path of the future it's, it's there because it's a museum capturing i mean flight is a big part of the yeah. city
1: i don't know it sounds like a cool museum it does sound like a cool museum yeah. we should go we should go right now oh my god pause it
0: <laughs> i gotta buy a plane ticket oh
1: yeah you have to buy round trip <laughs> tickets to be able to go to this what? museum people don't know that there's
0: the answer to your snarky question if anyone else has a question uh they want us answered about la history why art exists what yeah. is the very nature of reality Who are any, we how do we run this podcast uh why do we run this podcast send us a question on instagram la underscore meekly email it uh, i almost gave out my personal email just do it big butt 69, 69 big butt
1: vert skater uh surfboard chocolate bar at, at not far off uh,
0: <laughs> 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 at hot fudge sunday dot,
1: <laughs> at, dot, ATT dot net. <laughs>
0: at daniel dot me <laughs> Uh, La. What is it? It's what
1: is at gmail.com is our email. Feel yeah. free to email us any questions and stuff. Yeah,
0: any way that you can come in contact with us, yeah. uh, just let us know. Yeah, if tattoo want- it on your body and stand on top of a big, 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 big.
1: If you want to do something where Daniel can only see it by telescope, and you leave a message for him in his apartment complex, and he sees it, and then like after three years, he finally uses his telescope, which he had to repair one more time, because now I ran into it and it broke. Turns out I'm the dog. Your dog. I didn't enjoy that at all. Not not even a yeah, a little bit. Okay, I take it back. It grows over time. <laughs> so like yeah, a fungus. That's
0: uh, shut up. That's been uh, old fungus. That's, <laughs> and that's our first nickname of the night. <laughs> that was last month. Now it's getting to September. This it month we're going to be talking about nicknames, famous nicknames in Los Angeles. Did you ever have a nickname?
1: Uh, yeah, I did actually. High school, it was Eric Foreman. You guess why? From it, that '70s show. Yeah, they thought I looked like Eric Foreman, so everyone called me Foreman. Which
0: one was Eric Foreman? Was he David Duke? Which one was? Yeah, it? it's David Duke. David <laughs> Duke. Yeah, it's
1: David Duke. Give <laughs> <laughs> me a minute. Look what? Topher Grace. Topher Grace. Yeah, yeah I had hair similar to Eric Foreman in high school okay. now I have no hair <laughs> you've
0: turned into Eric Foreman's dad <laughs> <laughs> his
1: name's red in elementary school it was waffles why? Greg sounds like ego, Then it <coughs> Lego of my Grego Then it led to Waffles I have a, a signature book from leaving Or autograph book from elementary And everything that says Waffles on it
0: <laughs> Everything's coming up Waffles
1: It's more of a moniker really <laughs> <laughs> Did
0: you have a it, nickname? Well you know my one nickname From when I was younger When I used to play baseball Remind me? RBI
1: RBI was yeah, that they
0: called yeah. me RBI Because all I could do Was hit RBIs <laughs> When I played baseball I couldn't catch anything I could not hit any other kind of hit I could only hit RBI Guys. You can
1: only score runs in. You
0: know, that's probably my greatest sports moment is like, I remember hitting, because I was RBI, and they yeah. were, I think they were saying like, RBI, RBI, and that's I hit an RBI, so and people
1: funny. were like applauding. That's great. Yeah. That is your... uh your moment. Rudy moment. <laughs> that is your Rudy moment. That's your moment in Sandlot when he finally like catches the ball. Uh, yeah.
0: And that's how I became an announcer for the LA Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> so those are our nicknames. Yeah. Those, yeah. Uh, send us your nicknames. Uh, Joel, I get towed a lot, samataro
1: That's good. He's probably never been told before. Uh, never been told. i, I like to- to- I think that I've
0: never been towed, but if I did, I would pass. (laughs) These are going to be some famous people from L.A. history. Not that famous, though. They're kind of uh, obscure people, really. Mine? Yeah. I mean, they were pretty big figures. In their time. In their time, but they've kind of been forgotten. All right, so my first one. Some men are men of the cloth. Jesus Christ. Christ. But for some of those men, that cloth is wound up really tight around their fist, and they use it to cause (laughs) blunt force trauma. So this is a story of Fighting Bob Shuler. Did you know anything about Fighting Bob?
1: Reverend Bob Shuler? Uh, Reverend Fighting
0: Bob Shuler. He's not a boxer. I know. He was a reverend who used his position of power and gift with words to cause verbal blunt force trauma (laughs) to most public figures in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, that's how I know Yeah.
0: (laughs) So he was born Robert Pierce Shuler August 4th, 1880 in Comers, Rock,
1: Virginia. Which one's the state which one's the description of the state
0: the rock was just the it's how you knew you were there Dwayne Johnson Virginia Comer's the rock Virginia (laughs) from what I read Comer's rock sounds like everything you expect a place like Comer's rock Virginia to be like it's It's a perfect place to leave yeah it was just white poor and Protestant (laughs) that's what their uh, their city flag that was
1: my nickname in high school
0: (laughs) that was my bio (laughs) (laughs) that
1: was my Twitter bio
0: so his dad was a Methodist minister and his mom was named Rosa Elvira that was what she was best known for you're best known for having those two names some people know me by my name. Um, You
1: might know me from my name.
0: Here's a good name for you. His uncle's name was Pow Delp. Spell it. First name P-O-W. Like a prisoner of war. Maybe that was his nickname. <laughs> his last name was D-E-L-P.
1: Pow Delp. Pow Delp. It sounds like he if you get was, hit twice r- by Batman. I know, he was written sound. by
0: Bob Kane. <laughs> this insulated religious upbringing made him grow up believing deeply in manifest destiny and that God created America for himself to be enjoyed by white Europeans. Yeah, it's all fun and games until we find out what Poe Delp believed <laughs>
1: uh, all fun and games until they're looking up real estate in LA you're like, Jesus, I want to bring that stuff over here.
0: <laughs> by the way, Poe Delp is in episode nine. (laughs) This led him to attend the Emory and Henry College in Virginia. And then he got ordained at age 23 when he started preaching around Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Texas Mm -hmm. until 1920 when he decided to move his wife and six kids to Los Angeles. No
1: room. Occupied. What year was (laughs) that? Sorry.
0: 1920. So he saw Los Angeles as, he described it as the only city in the nation in which white American Christian idealism still predominates.
1: Okay. Which
0: leads me to believe he had no idea what Hollywood was at the time.
1: He must have only Stayed in Los Feliz, like yeah. what most people do when they come to LA. No culture, and they just stay on, like, Franklin.
0: Well, he loved going to the UCB, we knew that, <laughs> because he liked white Protestants. <laughs> so he came to LA and took the job as the Reverend at the Trinity Methodist Church. That used to be at 1201 South Flower Street, like a couple blocks away from Staples Center. And it's the parking lot of Hooters or something now. So the, the church had been around, as it was destined, yeah, <laughs> let's do the sign of the cross. But when you go across, boy, do you have to go across. The only sign of the cross that takes two hands. <laughs> So the church had been around since 1870, but they were deeply in debt in 1920 and they were losing their congregation. So Schuler had developed a reputation as being one of those fire and brimstone type preachers. Yeah. So he would scream and shout and spit and everyone loved it. Yeah. So this was, it was a popular before, style of preaching.
1: Before rock bands started. Yeah, was this was had. all you had. He
0: was, he was so cool. Leather jacket. <laughs> his white collar was so tight. You could almost see his Adam's apple. <laughs> it was really popular. So the church wanted to boost their ticket sales and it worked because, you know, like the people will come to see this. So his congregation, they hired him. The congregation started to grow and grow and grow. But he wasn't just there to draw a crowd. He was here to protect the white Christian Eden that was Los Angeles at the time, according to him. So he called himself one of God's watchmen on the walls of the city. So he took it upon himself to there used to be walls around Los Angeles also. (laughs) He took it upon himself to use his influence over his growing congregation to call out everything and everyone he thought was wrong in the city. This is what you know him for. This included but was not limited to jazz. Catholics, the Knights of Columbus, because they were Catholics, and they eventually sued him for libel, but he won. What he called the Jew-owned industry of Hollywood. Come on. Come on. It, that's their bio. <laughs> the Los Angeles Public Library, he hated. Wow, really? What, they, socialism? They offered book, Socialism and they offered books with liberal ideas. I want this man's head on a stick. Go ahead. It would still draw a crowd if it was yeah. on the stick. Uh, the River Sticks. So the YMCA, he hated because they had Saturday night dances that occasionally went past midnight into Sunday, which was the Sabbath. So
1: you can't be dancing on the Sabbath. He
0: also hated Amy Semple McPherson, who uh, he I, probably hated her most of all.
1: I remember when I did her story, that, that was a name that kept coming up. Yeah. I'm like, who is this? (laughs)
0: Who's this man?
1: Who's this this rock and roller?
0: (laughs) Who's this fiery young (laughs) reverend?
1: (laughs) Who's the white little Richard?
0: So he called Amy Semple McPherson a hypnotist and said that she was... (laughs) (laughs) He said that she was duping good people and was too wild and sensual And what she was so doing. So was he. He wasn't sensual.
1: So, no, okay, but neither was she. That's what I meant to say. She she, she wasn't.
0: I don't know, because she was a woman. Anything a woman does was sensual to her. She
1: had short hair. Okay, go ahead.
0: Oh, stop, oh. please. Slow down, Greg. Mm-hmm. He said that what she was doing was just as bad as bootlegging. I'm
1: not going to argue that. Which is good, because
0: bootlegging is not that bad. So, in, <laughs> in, in, moving away from her, in 1927, Why? there was a show. <laughs> she's making me too sensual. In 1927, there was a show going on at the Follies Theatre. Called the Hot Mama Review. Oh, hell yeah. So of course he went to check it out, and then immediately he told the police chief what was going on. Who then raided the theater and shut down the show. What uh, year was it? 1927.
1: Hmm. I think another
0: police chief. Go ahead. I might know the guy responsible yeah, for this. I might know so the, the the 27 police. hot mamas that were in this show were brought to court for indecent exposure, but they were let off free, and uh, they made a movie about this called uh, Twelve Horny Men. <laughs> it's
1: 12 vignettes
0: courtroom after dark was the alternate title bob schuler had a magazine that he humbly titled bob schuler's magazine and if you couldn't already guess the sort of stuff that is in this magazine the only issue i could find online the front page of it said uh jews (laughs) yeah he had what i guess you could call a poem titled is it booze and it went like this Uh, read it in bob schuler's voice what is the issue is it booze with 10 million americans out of work Is it booze? (laughs) With 100,000 little homeowners in California losing their homes, is it booze? With one public official making a private fortune of $500 million in eight years while the middle class American is plunged into bankruptcy, is it booze? (laughs) With the cost of government mounting 300% in 10 years, is it booze? Indeed, what is this issue? Is it booze? (laughs) That was the front page Um, just on white.
1: That's so funny. Of course, white. Yeah. (laughs) Why would it be any other color? White on white. Um,
0: If you're white enough, you can read this. But yeah, just ridiculous that's stuff. A, that's adorable. But there was also, I, I, I flipped, not flipped, through, I digitally flipped through it. A scroll, I guess you would call it. There was an ad in the middle of that article to buy baby alligators. They were a dollar each or two fifty for three.
1: I have a question. Yeah. Baby alligators. Is it booze?
0: <laughs> People are buying alligators and they're turning up crocodiles. Is
1: it booze? Is, is it, it is booze? It, is it juice?
0: <laughs> But he wasn't just against booze, Jews, and hot mamas,
1: which is... <laughs> Your review. So Your- I'm bringing that
0: to the Follies Theater this December, just in time for Hanukkah. Booze, Jews, and hot mamas. The Daniel Afrin story. It's
1: really mothers, though. Here's they have life.
0: a fever. So most importantly, aside from that sort of stuff, he was railing against social and political issues. You know, we can't... We can't offend this guy, but he was a leader in the local progressive movement, which sounds good, but, but was really a mixed bag. Yeah. He was furious when a mob of KKK guys killed two black men, but at the same time he openly supported the KKK.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that was like we're supposed to send him to trial sure I know. something like.
0: That. Let him get convicted first, and, and then, then we we'll can lynch Yeah, him. there's
1: ways to do this, but yeah, yeah, yeah. To this. Yeah, yeah. I, we need know. the judge to get paid. We need everyone else to get. We need the police to get paid. well He did not like the police. <laughs> he, uh,
0: he hated most city officials. He called them criminals who spoil paradise in. 1923, he heard rumors that LAPD chief Luis Oaks was a playboy and a drunk. So we followed him one night and saw him living up to that reputation and then preached against him so hard to his followers that Oaks was soon fired and denied pension. So it wasn't just allegations. He was flinging at people. He was actually making a difference in the city. And like I said, some of that was actually good stuff, like getting rid of corrupt yeah. cops and things like that. He got rid of a lot of LAPD corruption, actually. He got a lot of the LAPD protected brothels and gambling dens shut down. He was very outspoken against the very corrupt mayor, George Cryer, who Mm -hmm. also sued him for libel. Shuler was head of the ministerial union in L.A., so he would often lead groups of ministers and reporters directly to the offices of the mayor and other people in City Hall unannounced, and he would call them out for their corruption in front of everybody. The biggest leap he made, though, was in 1927 when he raised $25,000 to start his own radio station,
1: KGEF, which stood for Keeping God Ever First. You could have titled that better, but then again, you could have just called it... uh...
0: KKKF.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Bob Shuler Magazine was a great title. Why stray from that?
0: K-Bob. K-Bob. So now this meant he could not just reach whoever could fit into his church but also whoever had a radio within however many miles of Los Angeles.
1: Alex Jones fans.
0: Wait till you hear the similarities here. Okay. The station had religious conversations and hymns and all that sort of thing but the big show was Bob's sermons. They were fiery and like he was known for and they were riddled with accusations and lies and Hollywood gossip so he would just pounce on any rumor he heard and call these people out and attack them to no end. He accused the city health department of forcing women to get medical examinations only from men. He accused the President of USC of teaching evolution, or <laughs> as he called it, monkey business.
1: <laughs> oh, that is the best title for I anti-evolution. I know. I was
0: looking up, like, is that really what? It, where is like which came first? Yeah, it was
1: actually a bunch of monkeys tried to open up a bank. It was original. Thing. It was all these
0: monkeys. They were jumping on a bed, and he was against them. <laughs> One of them fell down
1: broke his head. I can support this. Is this the literal America you want? They Is this out. the American Catholics want? <laughs> and, <laughs> and we evolve from that.
0: <laughs> As his kids are jumping on his head. In 1929, during the rape trial of Alexander Pantagis, which yeah. we talked about a while ago, mm-hmm. he started saying on his show that Pantagis was bribing the jurors, which helped influence the guilty verdict against him. But after the trial, the Bar Association went after Schuller and he got sentenced to 30 days in jail for contempt of court. And he couldn't have been happier about that because now he was a martyr. Yeah. He loved it.
1: Once you get kicked off of YouTube, you become a martyr. martyr.
0: Wait till you hear. Are
1: you going to leave the Alex Jones? Because I don't want to hear about it.
0: Well, this man, he grew up to be.
1: (laughs) This is the Pinocchio version of him, but when becomes comes real boy, (laughs) comes Alex Jones.
0: I want to be a real Catholic. (laughs) When he got out of prison, he bragged that he got butter instead of margarine in there, and that they made him a specially tailored prison suit complete with a tie. So it was a lot of hurtful gossip he was spewing, but again, he was also right about the local government being corrupt. I mean, yeah, yeah. no. Yeah,
1: okay, you're right. You're right, you're you're aware of it. You can't defend him. You can be awful and still right about something. Well, here's
0: a perfect example. He helped get Mayor crier kicked out of office, but also helped get John Clinton Porter erected in 1929, a man who had been in the KKK.
1: Yeah, he was a teetotaler. That's why he probably liked him. Yeah. Porter was also like, is this booze? And that's <laughs> how they got, became friends.
0: I wanted to ask you something. <laughs> As
1: is this booze? Someone <laughs> no. else,
0: someone who's going to come up later in the show, he helped get Two Gun Davis fired. He was so popular, he managed to grow his congregation to 6,000 people, making it the biggest in Southern California at the time. And he was also a great promoter of things. He had gimmicks like one Mother's Day, he promised... A a gift to the mom who brought the most children to church, and the winner who brought her seven sons was a Mrs. Hahn, mother of Kenneth Hahn.
1: Really? Yeah, so oh. he
0: was there. A yeah, descendant of Schuler. <laughs> but his real power was in this radio show. At his height, he had 600,000 listeners, which made him one of the country's first big radio ministers. They said that his word could influence the vote of 60,000 people mm-hmm. in any given election, which he proved in the 1928 presidential election when he turned a large part of the city against Al Smith because he said he was a Catholic and he, part of the Pope's plan to murder protestants in their sleep so they decided not to vote for him
1: i mean it was true catholics that's what we do we all have a knife for it we keep it in
0: our relic (laughs) you think this is one of an apostle's bones it's actually my knife that i'm gonna murder a protestant with (laughs) al smith ended up losing that election to herbert hoover who shortly after started the great depression so started it (laughs) i got an (laughs) idea switch
1: (laughs) i've got this crazy idea guys tense as far as you can see (laughs) just Whew. Everywhere.
0: I'll vote for that. As long as I don't get killed in my sleep by the Pope.
1: A businessman standing on the 53rd floor of a building. Think Tears of the views. <laughs> but it is, is this views? <laughs> <laughs> it is
0: weird to think how a guy spewing this hateful, mostly wrong stuff on the radio can influence an election and change things for the worse. <laughs> so the LA Times... <laughs> Glad that's over. We were so naive back We were back so... Then. God, we're so foolish. So the LA Times feared him and he said that he held all records for attacks upon everybody, everything. Uh-huh. The newspapers covered him endlessly. The amount of coverage coverage he got in the papers was rivaled only by amy mcpherson and clara bow mm. uh, uh the new the, <laughs> Ooh, hello. oh uh,
2: hello the, the i'd like to see girl. those two in a headline <laughs> here's a
0: headline <laughs> yummy the newspapers are the ones who gave him his nickname fighting bob yeah so the attention again that the media gave him is what enabled him and gave him his power and the public loved him racist and all because yeah. he was a straight talker which sounds so familiar. So like it or not, Schuler was a leader in fighting for a non-corrupt LA government, and there was no stopping all the racism that came along with that yeah. because he already had the power. But all good witch hunts must come to an end, and they usually end the same way by calling a wrong person a witch. So yeah. eventually he accused his partner in not-crime, Reverend Gustav Brigleb.
1: Love that white name.
0: He accused him of taking donations from the notorious Charles Crawford. The something, wolf? The gray wolf? Yeah, so something that Schuler said he, he would sooner baptize a skunk than take donations from him, which he did live on air.
1: Oh, Skunk's not that. Dies.
0: are we not catholic
1: <laughs> <laughs> we are many things we are trash eaters but are we catholic
0: <laughs> is the pope skunk or whatever they're saying <laughs> that's pretty soon after these accusations what's, he... sorry
1: what's one more time not yeah. to interrupt but mm-hmm. what was the last guy's name gustav
0: briegleb For not long after this he had made one too many powerful enemies and the tide started to turn against him and in november 1931 he had his broadcasting license revoked by the federal radio commission who said he was not operating in the public's interest so this was a very controversial move and the aclu even fought this decision in the supreme court but he was not given his license back but this and what amy mcpherson was doing sparked the government to keep a closer eye on the ideas that were being disseminated over the radio but this just prompted fighting bob into wanting something bigger than just running a church. I want to own the airwaves. I, I want to air. be a radio. <laughs> he wanted to become president of the United States. Oh so in 1932, he ran for the U.S. Senate as a prohibitionist, and thank God he lost, but he still got 564,000 votes. Supposedly, he was so upset with L.A. when he lost that he put a curse on the city, who some say caused the Long Beach earthquake the next year.
1: I can't prove him wrong. I can't say no, that wasn't the curse. Was it booze?
0: <laughs> this derailed him pretty badly, and it wasn't until 1948 that he tried again, but on a smaller scale running for the 12th Congressional District on a campaign that accused everyone in Washington of being drunk, but he lost yet again and with that... The what li- of it? The li- <laughs> Yeah, so what? so what? Burp. He lost the last of his popularity. In 1953, he retired and put his son, Bob Jr., in charge. Pacifist Bob, as they called him. So he put him in charge of the church, which eventually got torn down in 1982. Fighting Bob Shuler died September 11th, 1965 in Conspiracy K- <laughs> in Carmel Valley. It- Was it an inside booze? <laughs> so he died in Carmel valleys buried in Rose Hills Memorial Park in Whittier, but his legacy should best be remembered as always vote in every election) <laughs>
1: Good lesson. Yeah. This,
0: Fighting pop show. It's so weird. You know, in The House of the Seven Gables, which I just finished just finish? after six months of reading it.
1: How, how do you feel about Nathaniel Hawthorne before you continue?
0: Old. <laughs> One of the ideas of the book is like, people can be so optimistic about the future and like, things are going to change and get better. But what they don't realize is like, everyone always thought that and nothing's ever changed. Nothing. Nothing's ever gotten yeah. better. And like, I keep uh, reading all these stories of like, oh my God, we're just repeating the same storyline yeah, over I, and over.
1: I really hate quoting this all the time because it's so hack now. But mm-hmm. I keep thinking, time is a fight circle time is absolutely a flat circle. <laughs> i hate repeating
0: this because it's so hacked now but not the mama
1: ah, that's also true detective right
0: well let's have our next story greg
1: the title of this is Flat-nosed, fast feet. (laughs) They also
0: said that about me when I was
1: playing baseball. It's 1950 in Jewish Harlem, and at the age of 11 years old... Which Jewish Harlem? Boyle Heights? No, actually in New York. Jewish Harlem? That's what I said. I kept reading that over and over in different newspapers, Jewish Harlem. I assumed it was a different part of Harlem.
0: (laughs) I don't know. Maybe Uh, they're referring to the Lower East Side as Jewish
1: Harlem. I was going to ask you, but uh, you mocked me. (laughs) So it's nineteen fifteen, it's Jewish I don't Harlem. What it really is, but I'm not allowed to say <laughs> New York State. <statements. laughs> it's all of New York. Jewish Harlem. Is this booze? At the age of eleven years old. Is this
0: booze? No, it's Manischewitz.
1: <laughs> you can drink a lot of it, it won't do anything. At the age of eleven years old, young Max Rosenblum was sent away to the Hawthorne Reform Home for Jewish boys after he punched a school teacher <laughs> oh and knocked god. out two of her teeth. Oh my god, and he was eleven? Eleven years old. Jeez. Upon his release two years later, he began boxing at the behest of a future Hollywood actor and so began. The tale of Slapsy Maxie.
0: <laughs> this is also Greg's Dr. Seuss book. Work,
1: you know. <laughs> Max was born in New York in 1904 and was raised on the tough streets of Har- I put Jewish Harlem again. In an effort to stray her son away from the brutality of the New York streets, Max's mother enrolled her son in ballet school. <laughs> But of course, that only-
0: I don't want you to get in fights on the street. I'm sending you Dude. to ballet school. No <laughs> one will fight with you.
1: As we've already figured that out, it made the brutality of the streets even more potent. <laughs> you frequently had to go at it with bullies who wanted to give him a different moniker. Ballerina. More of a title, really.
0: <laughs> it's a job description. It's more of a job description. <laughs> <Yeah>. Prima ballerina.
1: <laughs> at an early age, Max was proving to be a hothead. He was quick to fist the cuffs with any Joey or Frankie that stepped up to him, <laughs> which is how he ended up in reform school after giving his female teacher an invitation to the ground. But reform school had done little <laughs> like for- I meet somebody. I want you to be a friend of mine. <laughs> Reform school had done very little for Max. He quit school in the third grade saying he chose to, quote, quit school in the third grade because I didn't want to pass my father who was in the fourth. He was a New York street tough. Wisecracking and hustling and brawling. Usually that path doesn't lead to success unless you want to mug people in Central Park. Mm. But this time <laughs> it did lead to success because Max was saved by a local guy, a neighborhood pal, future Hollywood man, George Raft, who some might remember from his role in the original Scarface. He played Ronaldo. He was in Good. Some Like It Hot. He was Spats Columbo, the bad guy. Oh,
0: okay. And Now, then he was now in, we're talking. Yeah.
1: He was in uh, They Drive by Night, which is a film noir classic. Whoa, whoa, whoa. wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you do George Raft? Did we do the same guy? What
0: is the movie called? They Drive by Night. Then I'm talking about a different movie with a very similar title. What's yours called? He Walked
1: by Night. Okay, that's a different movie.
0: One's a prequel.
1: (laughs) It's only one. Then he got money
0: and then he drove by night.
1: He met some friends and they drove, so they (laughs) drove by night. Raft suggested to Rosenblum that he switch from ballerina to boxer. He loved this idea. And guess what? It took. I've read this phrase several times. This is the
0: original Cinderella, (laughs) man.
1: (laughs) This is uh, Rocky. I've read this phrase several times in different articles, so it must be true. Rosenblum was released into the custody of George Raft. Another article from 1934 it says that says at the age of 30 so much older says that Raft purchased half interest in Max's contract paying $10,000 for Max. So Raft who was according to the same article was the best informed man in Hollywood and boxing. I'm bearing the lead a little bit but what I'm trying to say is George Raft's involvement in Max isn't a flash of interest. It's not just like a thing. Yeah, I he was, once, he's like his he's, mentor. He's his mentor and he like stick, he sticks by him through the years and stuff. Max was, was known in his coming up years for being a really eccentric fighter. He had a really eccentric defense Defensive boxing style which utilized his ability to dance gracefully he was very loose on the mat this came from dancing and prancing to avoid blows he also returned blows but not with a fist but with open hands in 1923
0: Demone like bruce like, lee
1: yeah like bruce lee like with a with a palm uh-huh. not, that's what i've read so I, I didn't see footage of it or anything but it said open hands <laughs> with, or, with
0: open arms he would fight
1: come here <laughs> in 1923 damon runyon a sports writer dubbed rosenblum as slapsy maxi because he would do this oh okay yeah. that makes sense i imagine from the appearance of slapping opponents yeah his biggest Is boxing that allowed like, not anymore i I'm sh- pretty sure he was the first MMA fighter. Yeah, they don't want to say that. The Liberal media doesn't want to say that. The Protestant media the Protestant doesn't want media you to know. Doesn't know that he's Catholic wearing. media. His biggest boxing achievement comes in June of 1930 at the age of 25. Slapsy Maxie won the American version of a lightweight title from Jamie Slattery after 15 rounds. And in 1932,
0: he won the he turned him into. In
1: 1932, he won the world title with another 15-round decision. He is still regarded by some outliers as one of the best lightweight boxers in history. But besides training for boxing, which he didn't do much of, a- apparently he also gambled and hoarded around more
0: than Manny Pacquiao
1: (laughs) Maxie was very adamant though that he never touched a drink he wanted everyone Mm -hmm. to know that but many recall what Is it booze we're talking about? (laughs) I have a question about this brown drink. Many recall that Maxie was the last to leave dance halls and cafes, even the day of a fight. So like he partied a lot. He might not have drank, but he partied a lot. (laughs) I'm not quite too sure how he landed some of his early roles in Hollywood films, maybe through Raft, but he got some bit parts here and there. And he was no stranger to Los Angeles. His bouts would bring him through stadiums and arenas. He fought at Gilmore Park Arena. Uh, One of his last fights was at the Wilmington Bowl, which is one of the Harbor Area's central stadiums for events. Around 1933, it's said that the Hollywood crowd fell in love with Slapsy actually who had he had comedic chops he would draw huge laughs for parodying the moves of a punch drunk fighter one of his funniest lines he'd throw around was i quit fighting because joe lewis was afraid to fight me yeah he was afraid he would have killed me he had his first role in a feature film in 1933 while he was still boxing as a boxer if i remember correctly
0: so he he kind of is uh Dwayne comers rock johnson kind of or, yeah uh, what's his name john cena yeah he's one or, of those... uh, dave bautista
1: exactly okay yeah he, he lands a role as a big tough guy and then yeah. suddenly gets rolled suddenly he's
0: an alien and he's supporting a, a pedophile <laughs> <laughs> don't start he
1: lost his title in 1934 and continued fighting for another five years in 1939 he hung up his gloves after a pretty good career 200 wins with 18 knockouts over 289 matches great had boxing you, record
0: how do slap with gloves. I
1: don't know if they had gloves at the time. They probably did. But, but he hung he probably... up his gloves.
0: Did he cut his hands off? Yeah, he cut his hands.
1: <laughs> they were different kinds of gloves. Time to hang
0: them up. That's how he used to be before gloves were invented. Were, but it yeah. makes you really good with a lightsaber.
1: He had a great boxing record. And with that great boxing record, he also had a flattened nose and cauliflower ears. Ugh. And old age was peeking over the hill at him. And it was time to not look for- Not a good look. Not a good look for, well, unless you're playing a boxer in all your movies. Yeah. It was time to look for another career path. With the help of course of another Hollywood figure. And what a figure. Uh, he, he had been poking his flattened nose around Hollywood for some time. He had a couple roles in small movies like, like a, do But in 1937, two years after his boxing retirement, he had been asked by actress Carol Lombard to show her how to box, claiming that she wanted her puncher future husband, Clark Gable, <laughs> (laughs) when she felt like he deserved it. I could think of a point where he deserved it when he sexually assaulted Loretta Young. Who remembers things like that? Come on, who remembers that Kirk Douglas apparently attacked Natalie Wood? Who remembers stuff like that? Really. I read it. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if it's true, but I mean, I it read it. How many people attacked her? I mean, one guy killed her. Yeah, well, I, thought, I think two guys <laughs> killed
0: her and one tried.
1: In exchange for the boxing lessons, Lombard put Slapsy Maxi in her film, Nothing Sacred. And according to the things I've read, he's excellent in the movie. And the tough guy roles just kept coming. He played Big Julie and Guys and Dolls later in his career. Really? He, yeah, he was He was also in a movie called The Louisiana Purchase. He, <laughs> he played at, Louisiana. Yeah, he was a big guy. Evan Costello meet the Keystone Cops, which is my favorite multiverse. And he was in The B-Generation with uh, Vampire and Nermy. Bit Park. It's nothing oh, like okay. he wasn't like a star of anybody but you'd see him around saying yeah. something like I'm a boxer Want to hear my line about uh, Joe Lewis? He quickly found his Joe gimmick. Joe Frazier, which everyone It was Joe Lewis. You're thinking about Joe Frazier because we've been watching. Yeah, uh, been watching
0: Muhammad Ali interviews. He but, won't shut up about how much better he is than Joe Frazier.
1: <laughs> I'm sure it was a big deal to him. He's pretty good, but he's no Joe Frazier. That boxer over there? Is he, he booze? <laughs> <laughs> he quickly found his gimmick in character actor roles, playing boxers or comic thugs. Punch drunk who would say these and damn and those as in those aren't the boys. The boss is looking for them guys. Those ones. He really laid into New York accent. Apparently, I... After he got that role in Nothing Sacred, Jack Warner had him sign a contract for his studio. Slapsy Maxi saw this as his big break and he started taking acting and diction lessons from <laughs> Max Reinhardt, which is where he met. Marlon Brando. Oh no! Max would tell friends that Brando sounded just like him. Uh-huh. So Max returns to Jack Warner after learning how to pronounce words and talk like a person. And three weeks later, Warner fired Max because that wasn't the real Maxie. Huh? I liked you when you were raw, but that's show business, I liked you when baby. Like we you were illiterate. Show business. And Max is now in an Angelino, living in historic Hollywood Plaza Hotel and Vine in Hollywood.
0: I thought you meant right now.
1: He's there right now. He got me towed. I parked in front of his. Own.
0: <laughs> he pulled the car himself. <laughs> around, I'll take care of this. <laughs> uh, around
1: 1937, it appears he tried to open up a nightclub, Cabaret. Great deal. So, after World War One, there was a steady migration of the city's Jewish community moving up the west side of town. Bob Shuler must have hated it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bob Shuler's like, where are they going?
0: Hey, 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 everyone, hey, slow wait, down. Wait, stop taking all that money. <laughs> taking all that money that's in Boyle Heights.
1: <laughs> yeah, so they start moving to the Fairfax area. And at the time, there was two big Jewish-oriented comedy cabarets. There was Billy Gray's Bandbox, and there was Slapsy Maxie's at 7165. 65- he was
0: Jewish? Yeah, yeah, from Jewish Harlem. Okay. Yeah. And his dad was like a rabbi or something.
1: No father figure. Yeah, present. Which I didn't think about till but right now. Did he like,
0: have a rabbi? I figure.
1: George Raff wasn't Jewish. I don't know. I don't know. I'm that. not here to cast aspersions. <laughs> I think
0: he was Catholic. I don't know. Is it booze? Did that cross on his necklace is, is that booze? Yeah, that just mean he went to Hooters.
1: <laughs> Slapsy Maxie's nightclub was at 7165 Beverly Boulevard. Maxi owned this place and which opened in November. Where's 19- that? That's in. You'll find out. Oh in no! In November of 1937. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> Our worried robot sits next to us and no one never segments the sound. Oh no! I calculate. Oh no! There are a lot of varying stories about this particular spot, but I can't find a lot of stuff confirmed because well, you'll find out. But it was noted as being a celebrity hotspot in 1943. Performance permits were denied by the police commission. Officers testified that show skits went beyond the limits of decency. Whatever, probably butts or something. So Slapsy (laughs) Maxis closes after six years of operating and a space letter became... That new Beverly Cinema.
0: Whoa. Yeah. Wow.
1: All is well because Slapsey Maxi moves from Beverly and La Brea to the Miracle Mile at the old Art Deco Wilshire Bowl location on Wilshire and Cochrane, about half a mile away, or a mile and a half away, sorry. Now, this is the place that's truly renowned. So, a lot of stories I read about Slapsey Maxies, I didn't know which one it was, but if I trace it by years, it was most likely happened in this place. he would get performances from Jackie Gleason and Spike Jones, the comedy guy, not director. I'm pretty sure this is the Aren't ali- they
0: both kind of both?
1: They ride the line of being the same guy. <laughs> being the same same exact exact same. But yeah, old Spike Jones did music videos with the Beastie Boys. He
0: also loved skateboarding.
1: <laughs> Girl Skateboards Mouse is fantastic comedy skateboarding
2: Ollie! My heart's doing an Ollie thinking about this.
1: <laughs> uh, Slapsey Maxis was the LA debut of a comedy duo, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Uh, really? They, yeah. At- Martin and Lewis even cast Maxi in their role in uh, Hollywood or Bus, which is a super great movie. I saw a screening of it at the New Beverly. Uh, now, not only does Slapsey Maxi act and not only did he open up nightclubs and not only did he act and open up nightclubs and box and, 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 and act, but apparently was a stand-up comedian? Quotation. Oh no. Although I'm sure in those days it meant a uh, funny person on an elevated platform <laughs> under lights. Like it, like it's so vague. Uh, what they I think meant.
0: funny is a strong statement.
1: He was at a. What oh, do boxers what
0: the, <laughs> think they're funny? Go on.
1: <laughs> you think Muhammad Ali is pretty funny? Yes. You've been. He's quite funny. I, I keep saying you're watching Jack Parr. You're not watching Jack Party. You're watching <laughs> the other guy. Uh, Dick Cavett. Dick Cavett. Yeah. You're watching, the other
0: forgotten talk show host. <laughs>
1: (laughs) he was a stage comedy performer person he had uh, writers for sketches and gags but he was very good apparently at ad-libbing too he ad-libbing ad-libbing for boxers it is ad-libbing he was some interviewer's favorite person to talk to he was very funny and clever on the spot he like really gave into that character of being like a dumb boxer probably Mm. (laughs) because
0: quite a character he he, uh, really (laughs) lost himself in that role
1: try not to stray away (laughs) too much from the character you've made. They would bait him with questions that almost demand funny answers. One article had examples like which sweet thing would you want to marry or how much did you lose at the track? Like questions that would just like, Which
0: sweet thing would you want to marry? I mean
1: Claire Beau, the it girl.
0: <laughs> which of these pieces of meat that walk and talk <laughs> would you like to marry?
1: Maxie was sort of always that character as we've said. But people love that genuineness of it. He was a New York guy he was a fish out of water, gambling and mingling Like a
0: filter fish out of water. Uh,
1: I don't get that uh, gambling and mingling. By the way
0: that's going to be the name of my biography. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and you're port- to like a priest like white collar thing and you're like (laughs) doing confused like what i'm
0: just a little gefilte fish
1: in a big pond (laughs) he was just like a new york guy here gambling and mingling with movie stars and gangsters and looking the part of an old boxer because he was an old boxer (laughs) he must
0: have loved mickey cohen uh oh. Robot, be quiet.
1: <laughs> Stop that. He had a comedy performance routine for a while with another actor boxer, Max Bear, and the two of them apparently would perform at the Florentine Gardens on Why Hollywood do I Gold know Park. the name Max Bear? Well, I'll tell you every time my dad brings up Max Bear, he mentions his famous son. Max Bear was a famous boxer of his time. You might have heard of Max Bear before. Max Bear's son was Jethro in the Beverly Hillbillies. Max Bear Jr. Oh my god, that's weird. Every time my dad goes into an old boxing story and he'll like lean in like, that's Jethro's dad. <laughs> That's
0: Jethro's paw.
1: <laughs> now, the paw that you see in the TV screen that is his real paw. It's an actor. <laughs>
0: Don't forget that, son.
1: I if remember. I teach you one thing in this life, Is one thing, it is booze. Second You're ever think. wondering. <laughs> it is booze. <laughs> so, in 1940, Slapsy Maxi was arrested in Hollywood <laughs> <laughs> near his home, Hollywood and Vine. Under the police officer's report, it said, under observation on suspicion of bookmaking. Mm. Who else do you know that's a boxer and an actor and a gangster in Hollywood who likes bookmaking? Anyways, Slapsy Maxi claimed that he just picked the lottery ticket <laughs> To pavement and the officer. as the officer approached. This is a coincidence. Also, on the report, when they booked him, it lists his occupation as dancer, which is funny. Never for, never forget your roots. Boxer, yes. actor comedian, yes. Ballerina. Ballerina, yes. But booking, no, 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 uh-huh. Your Honor. His connection to crime people was suspected. By most accounts, Slapsey Maxi's nightclub was a bookmaking joint for gambling, maybe, and, you know, was a host for cops and judges on payroll. Many people say that Max was simply a front man for a Boyle Heights guy, Mickey Cohen. I mean, it's inevitable. Like He ran the city, well, he ran if, all
0: the bookie things. If you you're a jewish guy involves in a career that is heavily tied to the gangsters and mafia and there's a huge jewish gangster in town like why why, wouldn't, also, why wouldn't you go to him and
1: both of you are boxers you're yeah. probably going to get along anyways yeah. cohen was making like 160 thousand dollars a month from this operation and feeding into max's nightclub funny enough i also read that mickey cohen ran another entertainment spot was the band box which was the other jewish oriented cabaret <laughs> near fairfax 1940s lapd i won't get into this as much because i'll be covering 20 to 30 but anyways 1940s LAPD, PD, also not great. Is there anything you couldn't pay him? to do uh, or not to do. I love double negatives. Uh, anyways, you could, could it pay to not do or do? Uh, <laughs> make it any clearer? <laughs> anyways, the nightclub closes in 1950. It was replicated in Gangster Squad, which I, I don't know if I've mentioned on this podcast how much I hated. I'm sure you have. Maxie continued getting small roles throughout the era of TV and movies. He had a small part in Rod Serling's Reckoning for heavyweight from Playhouse 90. Sometime in the 1940s, he started a softball league at Gilmore Field. The team was called the Rosenblue Ragamuff's and at first base was jerry lewis oh Oh my god i read that an offshoot of this league continues to play Sunday mornings at west hollywood park but after the nightclub closed, on rolls dried up it was you know it wasn't very pretty for him he got a bit rolled on tv playing an assistant named clyde on the joe palooka show in 1961 this is where i get sad max set up a fake mugging to get his name in the papers again he reported that a man tried to kill him by firing a shotgun through his door then disappeared and apparently in 1968 while leaving his place he was actually mugged and hit pretty hard on the head with a pipe, which is straight out of a cartoon.
0: And he woke up and he thought he was yeah, Joe Frazier. he
1: spoke French. And <laughs> stuff. Unlike a cartoon, it took a very long time to recover, and it was kind of all downhill from there. He uh, had a caretaker for a while, but when that cleared up, he became a resident of the Braywood Sanitarium in South Pasadena after, you know, you could only take so many blows to the head. Yeah, it was the final blow. It was the final blow. It sounds like a hospice also sounds like a sanitarium, where sometimes friends and family would visit, but then not all the time. In 1972, the Boxing Hall of Fame, I put Boxing Hall of Hame inducted. The Boxing Hall of Hame in 1972, he was inducted into that, and in 1976, actor comedian boxer ballerina and club owner died at the age of 71 years old 289 fights 98 films and through all of it would not surrender to being a californian always a new yorker yeah. never learned how to drive had all his friends and chauffeurs driving between racetracks and that's what it's like to refuse to sell it to la that is exactly what it's never like. never
0: once ate an orange
1: <laughs> will not drink coca-cola will didn't not work go to the a, beach
0: didn't work out well for his friend marlon brando <laughs>
1: How many boxer
0: stories end happily? Honestly, I can't think of any. No, I can't. I mean, Muhammad. The hum- no. yeah, The Humama. The most you're going to get is going to be Muhammad Ali, who died of Parkinson's. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not a pretty life for boxers. That's why you're yeah. supposed to get out when you're young. Any any athlete, you're not supposed to be doing that no, past you can't. like 40.
0: Okay. So now let's move on to the next. This is a shorter one. That's kind of, it's kind of weird. We've kind of addressed him a little bit here and there, but let's just get right into it. Hit me with it. Some nicknames come from some talent or crime or personality trait, but sometimes they just come because you're from a different country and hey that's weird <laughs> <laughs> let's give you a nickname for that
1: hey what are you doing here what's your name where are you from that- where are you
0: from what's your name because that's your name <laughs> this is someone we've mentioned is playing a part in a lot of other different stories but now it's time to give the devil is due and talk about Greek George Karalambo <laughs> so his story is mostly lost to time alright what's your next
1: <laughs> one <laughs> not much story here Greg
0: this is another thing a lot of the details seem to be conflicting because apparently there were a lot of Greek Georges out there but there are some definite things we know about him I we- am
1: Greek George <laughs> I am Greek Greek George. George. Sorry to interrupt. Not really, but...
0: Sorry, not sorry. I am Greek George. We know some things, and he was a part of a lot of weird incidents in LA history. So he was born around 1829 in Smyrna, which was Asia Minor, which is now... This is such an old story. It's now a part of Turkey. He was born Yorgos... Caralumbo. We don't know anything about his early life, but we do know he somehow got involved with camels. And come and come, the late 1850s, the United States decided to start something called the United States Camel Corps.
1: The, my least favorite punk scene.
0: Uh, I go camel corps. That's all I do. <laughs> it's all about sex, humps. Get it? No. Not a lot of drinking. It is not booze.
1: Thank you. Uh, (laughs) I like the silence, but nobody's going to be able to tell that I was staring at you intently with my hands up. And you had to be like, it's not booze. So this the
0: camel corps. It was a plan by future president of the Confederate States of America, Jefferson Davis, who was then leader of the War Department to bring the ship of the desert, aka camels, to an environment where their particular skill set could be useful, the deserts of the American Southwest. So his plan was like, well, we have a desert here. Why don't we get camels? They go to the desert. We have a desert
1: camels in the desert. Okay. That was the plan. So, I feel like they're missing a missing ingredient, which is a desert. There's
0: a desert. I, we've driven to Arizona. We there, right. it, That's a desert.
1: It's a different kind of desert than the camel yeah, desert. Yeah, it's not the
0: Sahara Desert. Yeah, but, there's no
1: like wind storm. Well,
0: you'll hear why it didn't work out. Okay, so.
1: sorry. I, I feel like, yeah, you're right. I'm, yeah, come on. I,
0: you're I, being a real Catholic right now.
1: I'm just adding logic to yep. history. Like a Catholic.
0: <laughs> but they weren't just any camels that they wanted. They wanted dromedaries, which are Arabian camels.
1: That's what Obama used to kill little kids in Iran. A dromester. A camel (laughs) drumstrap.
0: So compared to a regular camel's 30 miles a day of travel, which we all know they're capable of, a dromedary could go 75 miles, and a regular camel could carry up to 800 pounds and smoke 400 cigarettes, (laughs) while a dromedary could carry 1,000 pounds and smoke all the world's cigarettes. They could go 10 days without water, which would make them way more useful than a horse or a donkey. Those thirsty animals, they're they're just begging for it. They're so thirsty. (laughs) So the plan was to use the camels to carry supplies and mail throughout the great American desert of Southern California, to Arizona. They would create a road between Fort Tejon, a little north of Castaic, to Fort Defiance in Arizona and service the areas further south as well. So the U.S. spent $30,000 and got 34 camels shipped in early 1856.
1: How much money did they
0: spend? $30,000 to get 34 camels. Okay.
1: I don't want to do the math, but it's... uh, You lost some money there, huh? No, 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 no. You came out on the bottom of that (laughs) one. There's no more
0: sound investment than a camel.
1: A camel in the American Southwest.
0: (laughs) The (laughs) desert of the future. So they came in early Fifty-six from Asia Minor to Texas, which is the Asia Minor of America,
1: and wasn't that? Was it wasn't Mexico. Eighteen fifty-six. No, that was that was oh, Texas was Texas. You're oh, right. Texas was Texas before California was California. Yeah,
0: it had to be. I mean, further west. We're further west. I don't know. I forgot the Alamo. I don't know. They got them to Texas, and then they rode them over to California. The guy in charge was Lieutenant Edward Fitzgerald Beale, which I feel like is a name we've seen before. The exact dates and where the camels exactly arrived and went is different in literally every source <laughs> I read. But at a certain point, there were thirty camels regularly going back and forth between Camp Latham and Culver City and the Drum Barracks in Wilmington. So there are a bunch of camels
1: the, running hanging places. out. Yes. Yeah. What are those things, said the people who had ostrich farms and alligator farms?
0: What the hell's that? What the well, hell's that? What are these weird animals from the Orient coming? <laughs> so we also know that along with the second shipment of camels that arrived in Texas, came our friend Greek George Carolombo. They cut open a hump and he was in there. <laughs> Hello! Him and a handful of other camel herders, including a guy named Haji Ali, who everyone called High Jolly, they got paid $15 a month to take care of the camels and use them to make connecting roads to places like Fort Yuma and also the Butterfield Overland Mail Route. He did this for seven years until the Civil War was a Bruin and the U.S. abandoned the camel program. So from what I read, either they were auctioned off or they just let them loose in Arizona and supposedly a few into the Hollywood Hills. That <laughs> explains
1: go. a lot of stuff.
0: That explains who's been drinking all my water once every month.
1: I keep humping up there.
0: That's why. I get it now. It's um, I must be that camel. But from here, the story of Greek George gets ridiculous, and some say it's conflated with the other Greek Georges in the area. Okay.
1: It's kind of, what What am I thinking of?
0: A legend? The legend of Greek George? What is it like? The Ballad of Greek
1: George? The Ballad of Greek George is what I'm thinking of. Is it? No. Because <laughs> that's
0: a beautiful song. <laughs> a
1: lot of people taking over one moniker with the idea of... The mantle o- of... The o- <laughs> keep talking. So I stop talking, please.
0: Thank God. In 1865, he moved to New Mexico, where he shot and killed the son of the governor and then then faked his own suicide and headed west to get away from it, where he got a Mojave arrow shot into his thick beard on the way. Uh So this is part of his maybe true story.
1: Okay. So there's no way that we could look into this because I feel like that should be the whole segment.
0: (laughs) It happened in Arizona, so it doesn't (laughs) matter. He was heading west to join the hunt for gold in the Holcomb Valley, which was known at the time as the hellhole of the San Bernardino, mountains and he ended up owning a saloon there where he got a reputation for shooting guys he shot a cook he shot a guy who cheered on a horse that beat his horse in a race and he also shot a guy for filing down the tips of the horns of a bull that was about to fight a grizzly bear wow yeah. this is all made up this is the irrefutable truth this part of it
1: my favorite thing is that they were able to specify a part of San Bernardino as being a hellhole, when we all know go ahead
0: the hellhole of hell it's pandemonium it's the heart of hell that's
1: funny that because you read a lot that's the joke there
0: i'm a good catholic (laughs) so whether this was our greek george or some other greek george or a combination of several greek george's we we we're never going to know but where the story becomes solid is when our greek george carolombo moves to los angeles and becomes a u.s citizen in 1867 and changes his name to george allen uh-huh. That's when he positions the government to give him a land grant for his camel service to the country. We thank you for your camel service. <laughs> but all they ended up giving him was a useless area called Bolton Canyon, which is we already discussed a couple in a couple previous episodes. It's yeah. the land that became the Hollywood Bowl. So he built a wood cabin there just to lay claim on the land. But he lived in an adobe on what is now Santa Monica Boulevard and ran the La Brea Way station at what is now King's Road and Fountain near the Comedy Store, which was there at the time. Uh-huh. You dummy. It wasn't there. Pay attention. <laughs> that was a test. And I'm sorry to say, <laughs> boy, oh boy. You passed. I was
1: thinking about fountain, and I was like Paul Thomas Anderson talking to Mark Marin about the Comedy Store being haunted, and how that whole area was always bad. And I was thinking about that when you said Comedy Store. That's all. That's what I was thinking about. And I was like, Yeah, okay.
0: So he lived there with a Mexican woman he married named Maria Cornelia Lopez. Mm. When Maria became pregnant with what would become their son Greek American George, <laughs> they moved onto the land in Bolton Canyon. But a Slavic immigrant known only as Marcevich was squatting there. And this is a story I've already told before, but it's even better now that we have more context of who Greek George was. So George wanted Marcevich. Marcevich gone, but instead of his usual method of getting that sort of thing done, which was killing somebody, he sued him, and he won the case. But Marcevich refused to leave, so George bit his ear off. <laughs> then he moved.
1: <laughs> you forgot something. <laughs> when did you bring that up? I'm I'm struggling. That was in
0: the uh, I think the Tapercio Vasquez. It might have oh, been. Okay. It was either to the Tapercio Vasquez, who's coming up, or the uh, Hollywood Bowl episode. Okay, that was the opening ceremony of the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> this is the house. Uh, here we go. Where George ratted out his wife's sister and her her boyfriend when they came to visit Tibercio Vasquez. So those are the main events we know of Greek George's life. The rest are just scattered crazy things that don't quite make sense. Like in 1882, he became constable of the La Bayona township and in 1885, he moved into Runyon Canyon. By 1900, Maria had died and he remarried another Mexican woman named Concepcion Vejar. So when Charles Lummis met him in 1903, he said he no longer remembered any of his Greek and he had never learned English, so he only spoke Spanish. So this was a And then he
1: shot George Lemus. Not good. He bit off his nose. George Lemus. Charles Lemus.
0: They married. They got married. Greek George Lemus. He was a Greek immigrant living in early 1900s Los Angeles who only spoke Spanish. That's. Yeah. He he died in Whittier on September 2nd, 1913, and he's buried at Founders Memorial Park. I feel like that's a perfect symbol for LA. I know. This guy who can only partake in a culture that's not his own.
1: (laughs) Coming from a land that no longer exists.
0: (laughs) (laughs) From an empire that was conquered 30 years ago.
1: (laughs) So that's Greek George.
0: Now we we have his story. I want to hear your next story now.
1: I cannot emphasize how excited I am to talk about the next story, which is titled... "Double Turkish George! What? Double Corruption, (laughs) Double a Gun! The Tale of Police Chief Jim Two-Gun Davis. (laughs) James Edgar Davis was hard-boiled. He was born in Texas in 1889 and came to California in 1911, a former cotton picker who
0: was... Someone who knows cotton picking Texans.
1: Cotton picking Texans who was distinguishably poor and uneducated. Mm. It was so... He was so poor, it was a new class of poor.
0: (laughs) You're so poor!
1: How poor was he? Is it booze? He ran away from home at 16, leaving an inhospitable living situation with the stepdad. He served some time in the army, fighting two years in the Philippines as part of... Two-year uh,
0: Davis, they called him. 2 Davis.
1: Year, two years <laughs> fighting in the Philippines as part of the field artillery. He was also worked as something called a cow puncher. No idea. He was a... Deli- Sometimes
0: they get feisty.
1: A cow doesn't want to give milk the open door, and he's just already walking up, pulling up his sleeves.
0: Let me at him! And it just milks itself.
1: <laughs> he was a delivery man for Wells Fargo. He was a soda bottler, which I cannot imagine him hmm. being. He was a... Like stri- Like Laverne, Shirley, a streetcar conductor and a locomotive fireman. In nineteen twelve, he joins the LAPD, the same year that the police department gets its first automobile ambulance, meaning that now people could die on the way to the hospital.
0: (laughs) You don't have to die at home anymore.
1: (laughs) I can't decide if I want to die at home or at the hospital. New place to die. Double the pleasure. (laughs) Nineteen twenty five. The police pistol range at the police academy in Leisure Park opens up. That resulted in LA police officers becoming some of the most world famous pistol shots. That's the one that's by Dodger Stadium.
0: Oh, the one that you can hear sometimes? Yeah. Okay. my
1: dad was a kid after you'd hear bah, 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 bah. Him and his friends would go down to collect the bullets and then trade it in for money. The metal. To who? Well, you know, I never asked that part.
0: <laughs> to the jacksmith. The jacksmith. The blacksmith. The blacksmith. I've been playing a middle. game called jacksmith. <laughs> you're a donkey and you make weapons.
1: It's a what? <laughs> <laughs> Records show that the marksmanship training was one of the most effective ways of keeping organized crime out of Los Angeles during the waning years of prohibition. I feel like it was a pretty good way to keep law away. Then I wrote, how can that be? Seeing as most of the guys who are in support of rum running were also the ones at the pistol range. <laughs> Among the most talented of these crack shot gunmen were James Davis. There's even video that exists online of him shooting a cigarette out of a guy's mouth. Wow. This apparently was a party trick he'd do often. But practice wasn't meant for showing off for Davis. He believed markmanship would make him a better officer. He was such a pistol whiz that he got a nickname, Two-Gun Davis. It came from these years of the pistol range and he was so good So he at would
0: it. always carry would he always carry two guns? I don't or?
1: know. I think that I, if I remember the video he did one then the okay. next. Because I've seen and it, the, next
0: the only picture I've seen of him he's holding two, two guns, guns up, which is kind of I mean you know guns Aren't cool, but like, uh, I'm lying, they're cool. Guns don't kill people. (laughs) People aren't cool. Guns are cool. Guns don't make people cool. Bullets make people (laughs) cool. (laughs)
1: Taking a photo with guns makes guns cool. One article from the LA Times, which seems to be one of many puff pieces from the LA Times about Davis. It is mentioned that he is credited with the development of the police recreation and training center, the one in Elysian Park at the Academy. It's saying that he is credited with that development along with developing their intensive training program. He gets a lot of credit. He was a very intense police officer. I read that he took part in 12,000 arrests in his early years as a beat cop. Complimented it. He achieved by working every beat in the central division. He was also on the detective squad. He worked as a fingerprint expert. He was a competent, hardworking police officer. That doesn't make you a good person. Let's put that in early on. Uh-huh. You that, could be competent, still awful. Uh, hardworking,
0: still awful. In fact, you can be even worse if you're competent at it. And,
1: and and you work hard at being awful. Yeah.
0: That's weird that a police force would be known for something. You know, like yeah, LAPD. Watch out for their pistols. Pist. Yeah. yeah. With
1: their great shots. The, watch out
0: for that. Boston PD. Don't get near their bull whips. Don't
1: don't be Irish. They- <laughs> Do not like that. That's all they like in Boston. (laughs) Those Catholics. Maybe the most offensive episode. Yeah, because it's about you
0: this time. Oh, 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 baby. Oh, I said it. I'm going to go surfing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The reason I hated this episode, it's booze. Jim Tugun Davis rose to the ranks at an incredible pace that's
0: also going to be the reviews of this episode is it booze (laughs) with B-O-O-S
1: that sound Tugun Davis rose through the ranks at an incredible pace and by 19 okay let's remember that he sets up the pistol range in 1925 in 1926 at the age of 37 he was made chief of police the youngest man at that point to ever be appointed how old was he? 37 it's pretty young it's pretty young that's four years away from being me and I'm not the chief of anything (laughs) except for offensive podcast episodes which by the way
0: not really in the grand Scheme of things. In the grand scheme of things, you'll get over it.
1: The newspaper as I burp into the mic. And then you did the uh, Tim the Tool Man Taylor. Oh, oh, oh,
0: oh. <laughs> we talked about boxing too much, and now I'm Joe Rogan.
1: <laughs> the newspaper described Davis as a crack shot, a student of human nature, an athlete, and a oh, charming crack pot. And a charming conversationalist. By the way, a, if you say a student of human nature, that can mean how much. Pain can a person take, and yeah. he's still a student of human nature. One of my favorite quotes of his constitutional rights were no benefit to anybody except crooks and criminals. Okay. He was also an expert woodsman and a noted mountain man, a brute. Davis was in charge of a fifty man gun squad whose purpose was to hold coal on gunmen in Los Angeles street and want them brought in dead, not alive, and will reprimand any officer who shows the least mercy to any criminal. Which is pretty much what Darth Vader says when he first <laughs> see And him. I want them alive uh, but <laughs> dead. But also dead. He's a man's man, meaning effortlessly cruel and vile. He's He was called sadistic and dictatorial. He's been described as being very vain, quite something of a dandy. Bob Shuler Mm -hmm. said that he looked like he got a massage every morning and and he had his fingernails manicured. How could this man be chief of police?
0: How could this man who showers be chief of police? (laughs) Is it booze?
1: Subjectively, quality descriptions or not, becoming police chief so fast was no easy task. Of course he had help two men on opposing sides of a shadow war both agree that davis was their man harry chandler of the la times and ken kane Parrott, who i pronounced his name last time wrong i apologize i said parrot <laughs> ken kane Parrott, the shadow mayor of los angeles both these guys liked jim davis if you remember from Candy's Daniel lickers quicker click please here. click here sorry the police department was being run by ken kane peratt through mayor crier he got him elected that made room for the combination which was a criminal outfit running out of city hall they needed a man of brute force who was corruptible and that was Davis and he was in on the whole scheme. Chandler wanted Davis because he needed a man who hated communists and labor union folks as much as he did and boy.
0: Are the two sides not compatible? No.
1: They want different things because Chandler is anti-vice and parat okay. is all yes. vice. Okay. But parat I forget how parat benefits from the LA Times but he does. So they're on opposite sides of the war but they need to get along on certain things. Mm-hmm. I forget. I read it in. LA Noir is a great book. You know what's also a great book? for crime and I never thought of it history of police department goes through over yeah, this so well, well they were there man they lived it. they were the criminals that's why it's you get all the information <laughs> all, about crime
0: you get the sides of the cops and the criminals because they're the same this. person
1: <laughs> Chandler wanted control of the red squad which took apart labor organizers and radicals Chandler did his part in never reporting or calling out the cops or calling the cops heroes for this so that's how he benefited this why from we Davis. needed Bob Shuler okay so Davis is chief of police city halls corrupt everything's corrupt Chandler's running the LA Times and it's Pretty much always taking the side against it seems like the working man, whatever. Okay, so before we go any further, we have to talk about 1928, the Wineville chicken coop murders. Do you know about that?
0: Ooh, it sounds familiar. Have you seen the changeling?
1: No. Let's go over this. It's truly horrific story. I'm not gonna get into it. As someone who loves true crime, I have my limit, and my limits is child murder. Yeah. So the Moores murders, Dean Coral, and Gordon Northcutt with his chicken coop murders, not my thing. Horrible story. But they're involved with the LAPD. It's miraloma so it's out of county, so we mm, can't talk about yeah. it. Gag order of our jurisdiction. But in 1928, Walter Collins went missing, a little boy from Lincoln Heights, his mother who had given him money to go to the movies. Now he's vanished. Several boys go missing. Spoiler alert, their bones are buried in Mariloma. There was a huge public push to find Collins and Davis had the entire force looking for him because at the time it was a really bad press-wise time for the LAPD. Scandals were starting to come to light and they just needed to cover them. And if they found this kid that everyone looks for, this would cover it. So they Mm -hmm. really were pushing to find this kid. You know, they just need that win and Davis has his right-hand man, police captain J.J. Joe, Jones, or as I call him, J.J.J.
0: He was known for using dynamite. (laughs) That was his weapon of choice.
1: I got really excited because I thought this was the same Captain Jones that was having the affair with Brenda Allen, but I think it was a different Uh, Jones. Dr. Jones. Dr. No time for love. Uh, Some time for less, no time for love. J.J.J. is responsible (laughs) for finding Collins, and then the LAPD gets a call saying that they found Collins in another state. So they send the kid home. There's a big celebration, and he gets off the trains, and Mrs. Collins' mom says, That's not my son. And the LAPD says, we really need a win. Oh, my God. Do you think he could be? I mean, do you love children? Couldn't uh,
0: you see him as your son? You know
1: how when a dog dies and you <laughs> get a new dog and you're like, it's not the dog that I loved, but it's a new it's dog. A dog. This is the story of The Changeling with Angelina Jolie. This is what it's about. Is it's, that the same movie as the older version of the movie? The that's changeling? not the George C. Scott one, okay. which is about a house. It's pretty good. <laughs> I thought
0: that's where this was going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you see the bouncing <laughs> red ball? Chicken coop Moiders. Uh, Mooters.
0: Uh, they moïded them. You Boy. know, they did get muttered is the cow punchers <laughs> the victims of the, the cow punchers, the, 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 the wrong davis. side of
1: the cow punch you're the puncher or the cow so jones bullies her into accepting this stranger child as her son in front of the cameras with the approving nod of jim two davis this is your son
0: in front of the cameras yeah so he's like, nah, 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 take him take him
1: so mrs collins is not having it obviously obviously w-
0: where did they get this kid from they just like stole he, him from. he
1: said he was walter collins because oh my god because he wanted to come to california to meet tom mix the actor the cowboy actor <laughs> That's so funny and he heard there's a kid missing is my dad Tom Mix? And somebody in another state said, you know at that Walter Collins kid. And he's like, I'm going to go to California and meet Tom Mix.
0: I know how to get you a free trip to Los Angeles. <laughs>
1: Basically. So Mrs. Collins obviously is not going to accept a fake son because she loves her son and her son is still missing. So she has all this evidence, dental records and fingerprints and she has all this records and the LAPD demonizes her and she says, she's crazy. This is her son. So they have her committed to the psychiatric wow. wing of the Alley County General Hospital. Apparently, and I, I, I can't read up on this but I read this is where all the abused female victims of the LAPD ended up
0: wow so gaslighting she's,
1: gaslighting that's the best time you use that word today because they have used it on me two times <laughs> so she's finally released not because they feel bad not because what they did was wrong there I was
0: didn't a, use that word on you you're crazy
1: <laughs> <laughs> they release her because there's a break in the case by chance break in the case some kid says I almost got in a car with a guy and the chicken coop murders get caught LAPD their attempt to cover it up it's another boo-boo an-
0: Please, Greg, we can say doo-doo, but we can't say boo-boo on this show. Call it an open wound.
1: (laughs) It's an open wound for the public to pick up. It is so bad. It looks so bad. Captain Jones of course gets fired over this. So around the same time, not because of this, but kind of because they're so incompetent. City Hall gang begins to crumble. Not much, but they begin to crack and crumble. The combination starts to fall apart. 1930, criers out, Porter is elected, a reformer teetotaler, a man who couldn't be bought, but also, as we mentioned, member of the KKK, he demotes Porter, bad man, demotes to Gun Davis to traffic bureau on charges of incompetence and neglect after the Collins mess. Hooray! Except after Mayor Porter, the KKK mayor... By the
0: way, partly due to Fighting Bob Shuler. All respect where respect is due to members of the KKK.
1: <laughs> so Mayor KKK, his term <laughs> is up, and then comes Frank Shaw, mm-hmm. one of the worst mayors the city has ever had. Mayor Frank Shaw, most corrupted people ever. He comes and says, you know what? I liked the way it was before. And oh, makes 2Gun no. Davis the chief of police again. Oh, boy. 19, what year is this? 33-ish? Oh, this came up too. 1933, our old Nazi hunting pal, Leon Lewis, if you remember from that episode, uh-huh. is investigating Nazis in LA. So we talked about this before. You, you did a great job. Is he, uh,
0: again, please keep saying that. Is he the one that he went to and was like, help, and he said no? Or?
1: I have the exact quote.
0: I think I remember this quote.
1: Germans could not compete economically with the Jews in Germany mm-hmm. and had been forced to take the action they did. Yeah. The greatest danger the city faced, Davis insisted, was not from Nazis, but from the communists living in the heavily Jewish neighborhood of Boyle Heights. Mm-hmm. As far as Davis was concerned, every communist was a Jew and every Jew a communist.
0: Yeah, I remember that. That's uh, Davis. I'll never forget that. Uh, <laughs> except for Slapsy Maxi <laughs> Now that's a good Jew. I
1: like him. I like him. He's funny. So Davis, obviously awful person, right? We could just go ahead and say if he takes Hitler's side and he took Hitler's side is okay with being like, hey, take that kid. He's your son. Because we need a win, a corrupted guy. But then we get into maybe my favorite LA true crime story. As some people who follow me historically, I moved to Chico. I got really into LA history. Mm-hmm. I started reading a lot of Raymond Chandler. We know your origin story. After Raymond Chandler, I got really, I fell into a YouTube rabbit hole of recommended things and I landed here and this at la meekly after i read this story or i heard a story then i continue reading all in this is how bad two gun davis is is his mortal enemy on this earth was perhaps the most winningest guy in la history and it's clifford clifton no sorry clifford clinton owner of the social nightmare (laughs) cliff a corrupt government full of swindlers and criminals and outright bastards attacking the integrity of a clinton that's unheard of (laughs) funny political funny
0: (laughs) (laughs) um I did not have sexual relations with that restaurant.
1: <laughs> Clifford Clinton was a son of a Salvation Army captain who they were dedicated to helping the underprivileged. The Clintons were Block him up. Block him up. They did missionary work in China, and upon their return. <laughs> so have I. Ah, thank you. And his father opens up a soup kitchen. And kids don't learn from what you tell them, they learn from what you show them. And Clifford was shown how to be kind and how to treat people with dignity. And he grows up and in 1931, his name's Clifford Clinton. I'm gonna call him Clifton. It makes, it me makes happy. more it makes more sense. It makes more it sense. It's succinct. S- 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 and I like it. It makes
0: less sense that his name isn't Clifton.
1: <laughs> I wrote down literally Clifford Clifton every time, and I know that it's not, but it felt good. Clifton opened up his first of his restaurants of a golden rule. These places, patrons could dine for free if they weren't pleased. No Honor's, personal checks. No personal checks. <laughs> That's the golden rule. For five cents, he offered a five-course dinner in quotes of soup, bread, jello, and coffee, and during the higher depression, he served meals that either cost a penny or were for free. Mm-hmm. He really cared about people who were struggling. Comparatively, Tugun Davis had the LAPD at the State border to block Dust Bowl migrants from entering the state. If you're wondering why the LAPD were at the California border, way uh-huh. outside of the jurisdiction until the it t- was
0: a Passion Project.
1: Unless, you know, the Dust Bowl migrants were sailing into Malibu. Uh, <laughs> Davis said that about his officers, they didn't need any special approval because any officer has the authority to enforce the state law. Not true. So Davis got county sheriffs at the border to deputize his officers. Some of them didn't do it and sent the officers back home. Their offer to out of state people looking for work or shelter in Los Angeles was you could leave California or you could serve a 180 day jail term with hard labor. Davis promised them in prison that all you were entitled to was a Bible, beans, and abuse. That's the difference between Two Gun Davis. You get
0: to choose two of those things.
1: <laughs> hmm. Bible and beans.
0: <laughs> That's the name of your biography.
1: <laughs> Bible open up, beans portal over. Okay. Me being it's lucky, hollowed out. Yeah. And I'm praying to it.
0: <laughs> Rosary beans.
1: <laughs> That's the difference between Two Gun Davis and Clifford Clifton. And mm-hmm. oh, by hey, the way. He is
0: offering him beans, just hey, like
1: Clifton. Yeah. They offer food to underprivileged, but like one of them has to do hard labor. <laughs> and you can't leave so who could possibly support davis other than you know harry chandler and ally chamber of commerce the city prosecutor's office some public officials railroads the sheriff the county department of charities and plenty of others and you know what thank you to the ally times writer cecilia rasmi Rasmussen <laughs> for penning that because uh, it's a great sentiment. Clifton was—we should also say a Republican, but a, you know, a different kind of he had careful businessman. Yeah, it was a different time. A though. Different time. Careful businessman. He parlayed Clifton's. By the way, Clifton's is great. It was let always it, great. It continues to be great.
0: Yeah, even when it's closed.
1: Even when it's closed on Christmas, and I want to make a tradition of going on Christmas <laughs> because I'm a depressed person, and then I go, and it's not closed because it's Christmas. It's closed. Because it's a Monday. I'm like fudge.
0: It's not closed because it's Christmas. It's closed because it's my Christmas.
1: Cliff opened up two Clifton's. Parlayed that into. Two hotels, a 15-room mansion in Los Feliz with tile swimming pool. Help the poor, but first backstroke. His <laughs> estate is on Los Feliz Boulevard right before it turns into Western. 5470 West Feliz Boulevard. I'm pretty sure it's still there. Clifton was a man heavily involved into the reform movement. He was an irreplaceable man with who had influence and vision, and he wanted to oust corrupt local government, meaning the mayor and the corrupt LAPD. And the underworld had paid $1.5 million to put Frank Shaw into office. And with him, he brought back Davis, as I said. So that's how it worked basically was that you ran vice that money went into campaign for crooked government officials and then they looked the other way for the establishment that was the that's chain that's so
0: weird like a self-sustaining system exactly
1: and it's a function it, it functions it's a functioning thing except everything is off like everything <laughs> it's is, working like, well yeah it's all everything's <laughs> legal and they have the cops turning the other cheek and getting mm-hmm. payoffs from everybody that's like it so Judge Fletcher like, Bowren cows are getting
0: punched I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know what's happening
1: Fletcher Bowren has been recommended Clifford Clifton Clifford it, Clifford Clinton, and then he elects him to a 1937 grand jury to look into all of this. So, Clifton wants to create a group to investigate municipal malfeasance, which is what I just described, and he has to get the blessing from Mayor Shaw, who is, I mean, he has stuff to hide, but he can't act like he has stuff to hide, so he agrees to his investigation (laughs) against the wishes of Tugan Davis, which he shouldn't have done, because he's the bad guy. (laughs) So, Clifton calls the group, he's assembling CIVIC, which stands for Citizens Independent Vice Investigating Committee, and Shaw goes, oh no, I'm vice, that's me.
0: Wait a minute, that's not what's civic stands for in general is
1: it i don't think so
0: it's not like radar
1: no it's not like okay. radar i think it was already a word and all then right. they made a they're like we got to make it work towards civic yeah. Go, let's make this up. word
0: mean six words
1: <laughs> so clifton and civic they weren't just going to take gambling joints and brothels to test they were going to clean up city hall and any remnants of the combination still existed down with hydra and Shaw knows is a big mistake agreeing to it because he's Hydra, so he withdraws his support for the investigation but civic <laughs> is already doing the work so he agreed to it but it's already too late to stop and he wants to stop it, but he can't do it. <laughs> so the volunteer investigators, they made a nice little list of all the vice in LA. 600 brothels. I, I did not write the number for gambling joints. Untold a-
0: gambling 1800. joints.
1: 1,800 bookie joints. I see you, Slapsy Maxi. You're one of those 23,000 <laughs> slot machines, which is so funny because like one, two, three. The report further detailed how profits from these vices went into the finance of the campaigns of the city officials, and then that went, like I was saying, back into the, they went to pay off all the cops who would look the other way. The report also stated that officials from all three of the principal law enforcement agencies being district attorney's office, sheriff's office, and LAPD were working in harmony with the underworld. Oh, no. It's <laughs> oh, no. oh, no. Quiet robot. So in retaliation, the LA Times attacks Clifton. So Clifton is attacking City Hall and LA Times and, is
0: attacking And LA Times Clifton. is like,
1: you're wrong, Clifton. Okay, great. Thanks for showing your hand. Then in October of 1937, <laughs> a bomb exploded in the basement of Clifton's Las Villas mansion. No one was hurt. And the Clintons were on the other side of the house. So it's fine. So he called the lapd and they were like hey you're probably doing it to, as a publicity stunt gaslighting <laughs> gaslighting hard gaslighting hey you're good at
0: this. i'm great at gaslighting because uh, a car no, had, i'm not good at gaslighting
1: a car had been seen speeding away from the house plates tied to lapd intelligence division <laughs> it's weird I couldn't even change the plate i know so
0: <laughs> i see you i see you no you don't gaslight
1: It's just a car. (laughs) Red light, gaslight. So then Clifton News, a private investigator who was by reputation, a bad man. A former LAPD officer, noted wiretaper, all around grimy, cynical dude. It's said that he was the inspiration. Some places say that Raymond Chandler based Philip Marlowe a little bit off of him, but he added decency. This is a guy who could be paid for (laughs) Sanitized. Exactly, yeah. But basically, Harry Raymond could be paid for any job. And he knew the inner world well, so he was a good man for the job. So Harry Raymond hits hard pay dirt. Proof of payoff and meetings between the combinations the LAPD and the Shaw administration. Easy peasy. But Harry Raymond doesn't take this intel to Clifton. Being a grimy dude, he blackmails his old pals at the police department and they know the perfect response. So what are all the bad guys up to? Well, they don't want to make it look weird. They all go out of town. Tugan Davis and the mayor's brother Joe Shaw were in Mexico City for a 1930 International Pistols match. And Frank Shaw, the mayor of Los Angeles, away in Washington, D.C.
0: So to not be suspicious, they They all all took vacation. Yeah, they all at the same time. (laughs)
1: January 14th, 1938. It's the morning. 955 or May Street in Boyle Heights between Whittier and 7th Street. That's where he lived. Harry Raymond walks out to his car. He steps on a starter pedal Uh, and the car explodes uh, from underneath him.
0: Monday, Tuesday.
1: Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. (laughs) The engine shoots out from the car. The windows of the neighbor's house shatter. The entire block is rocked. Glass and shrapnel everywhere. But Harry Raymond survives. Uh, (laughs) Old son of a gun had 186. (laughs) Terminator. (laughs) He had 186 wounds from the shrapnel and he is pissed. He's so mad. So <laughs> down in Mexico, Davis gets the call that the bomb has exploded and buys a ticket back to LA. Like, Convention's done. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. He thinks Raymond's dead. So he's like, oh, I better go back and deal with it. So in the meantime, Harry Raymond calls over the LA examiner, not Aggie Underwood, unfortunately. It's Jim Richardson who was the editor who's covering a lot of Black Dolly stuff. And Raymond lays it all out. He implicates <laughs> firstly a guy named Earl Kynette, who was a commander of the LAPD special intelligence section. Kynette claimed that guess what? Raymond probably did it for publicity for his, uh, you know, cause or whatever. He probably misjudged how much explosives were in the car. <laughs> Davis gets back and he's like. Oh, crap, he's still alive. And then he uh-huh. agrees with Kinette that eh, it's probably uh, just, you know, a um, publicity, Trump publicity stunt. stunt. But neighbors confirmed that Kinette had been seen spying on Raymond. Wiretaps were found at home. And the next morning after the explosion, the examiner puts Raymond's story on the front page. Clifton, who is not a huge fan of Harry Raymond, especially after turning over a thing, still happy to portray Harry Raymond as a crusading investigator <laughs> who, d- who he knew too much. <laughs> the trail against Kynette went underway in April of 1938 and found that Kinette ran a spy squad, which wiretapped and investigated opponents to Frank Shaw, who at the time was also being recalled as a mayor and to be replaced with Fletcher Bowren, who was the judge who put Clifford Clifton in place. Bowren purged the LAPD of crooked cops and set his sights on two gun Davis. Davis, second time he was going to get demoted, but he was going to get fired, not arrested for some reason, fired. But he resigned in November 1938 instead of fighting for his position, mostly because his fighting would have cost him his pension, which was $300 a month. His resignation was suggested by his protege, William Parker, the man who would go oh. on to completely reform the LAPD. In 1939, Two-Gun Davis took a position at Douglas Aircraft as a head of protection, but his ill health had him resign in July of 1944. He suffered a stroke in June of 1949, and then he died. Jim, Two-Gun Davis, just because you're a good shot doesn't mean you're a good person. Hmm. Aww. Aww. Bad men all around. Let's remember the true hero of the story. Me for telling it. <laughs> <laughs> so much
0: corruption. It was, it, it was
1: so corrupt. Yeah. Police were guns for hire. Why didn't they catch Two the- Two
0: guns for hire.
1: Why didn't they catch the black dog? <laughs>
0: Why would they? They probably did it. Let's go to the next person. This one, it's not a cop. This is a straight up criminal. Get out. A smooth criminal. So now it's a story about a guy nicknamed after a weapon that already has a nickname. (laughs) Machine Gun Walker. Oh boy. I know nothing about
1: Machine Gun Walker. I'm
0: glad that you don't know anything because I knew a little bit because I looked at him for something like a while back. I
1: bet. Singles. I was all alone that one night.
0: (laughs) I think you're going to like this story. So nice young local boy who grew up to create what the newspapers called a carnival of crime.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah.
0: William Irwin M. Walker. Born 1918 in Glendale, they say. But the address I found where his family lived later on was at 1013 Cordova Avenue, which is in Pasadena. So I don't know if it's a different house or maybe Pasadena used to be Glendale. I don't know. Everything was crooked back then, even the borders, even the streets. So his dad was an engineer for the L.A. County Flood Control District. So with those genes, he went to the Herbert Hoover High School and then on to Caltech where he became very good with radios and radar. You know, it's like civic. It's one of those things. So when he graduated in 1940, he took a job doing dispatch for the Glendale Police Department. And then Pearl Harbor hit.
1: A day that will live in a day, 1941.
0: A day that will always live. That's the <laughs> saying. In 1942, he joined the military, but he was nearsighted, so he couldn't fight. So he, should, he just yeah. stabbed people. It was like Mr. Magoo going nuts. <laughs> but he was so good with electronics that the army took him in, and he became a lieutenant in charge of a radar unit in the South Pacific. In Is this no- MASH? It's like MASH, but funny. Get him. Take, Take that, that Donald Sutherland. In November 1944, he was sent to late Island in the Philippines to run radar looking for enemies, incoming uh bogeys, you might know them. Humphrey Bogarts. So we got a whole horde of Humphreys coming in tonight. So one night he got called back onto the ship where he was based from, and when he came back the next day, he found that there had been a surprise attack on that location at sunrise by the Japanese, and most of the men whose safety he was in charge of had been killed, including his best friend. So if he had given the order to dig foxholes that night, those men would have survived, but they called him back to the ship, so he wasn't there to have known that. So how could this be his fault? But if that were you, of course, you'd still think it was your fault. And so did all the other soldiers who all blamed him for this incident. So this event got him restationed back in L.A. And the only souvenir he got to bring back was a heavy case of PTSD. (laughs) So his family later said that they barely recognized this person who came home to them. So he was changed forever and he started becoming unhinged. The first symptom of this new insanity, he had a foolproof plan to bring about world peace all he had to do was build a death ray machine in the form of an electronic radar gun that he could aim at metal and vaporize it into powder.
1: That will get the world to get along.
0: I'd like to buy the world a death ray. (laughs) He didn't want to use the death ray to dominate every army in the world, though. His plan was to use it to threaten the governments of the world into raising the salaries of soldiers so high to the point that war would be too expensive to wage, thus ending all wars. That was his plan.
1: Uh, You left out volunteers.
0: No, you've got... To pay soldiers, <laughs> so that's the fundamental cornerstone of war. That's what keeps the salary, w- yeah.
1: That keeps war going. Every revolutionary, first of all, every protester is and an actor in it for the money. Yeah,
0: now you get it. Now, now, you get now, you, it. now you're seeing it. <laughs> so, lucky for him, he had both the scientific know how and the crazy cuckoo to try to make <laughs> this happen. But he needed money, and the only way he saw himself getting that was robbing and stealing. Fair. But to do even that, he needed Weapons. So lucky for him, he was still a soldier in the U.S. Army stationed in Los Angeles. So in August 1945, he gained access to an army ordnance warehouse in town and managed to steal from it a bunch of ammo, six revolvers, 12 pistols and seven Thompson submachine guns, a.k.a. Tommy guns, a.k.a. machine guns, yeah. a.k.a. machine gun walker. That's great. So of course, nobody noticed. Otherwise, it wouldn't be stealing. And in November of that year, he was discharged from the army, but he didn't want to move back in with his parents.
1: Mom, dad, meet my girlfriend. All these Tommy guns. Meet my girlfriend. Tommy. He wanted
0: to be alone so he moved into an apartment at 1831 and a half North Argyle Avenue which is now under the 101 right by Capitol Records. Kind of where you got towed. You remember that? You got towed cost you a lot of money. (laughs)
1: $289. Thanks for asking and bringing it up. I want to shoot you with a machine gun now.
0: So he was also offered his old job at the Glendale Police Department, but he felt the pay was too low, so he took to his new job,
1: stealing. They paid me pretty well. Benefits not so
0: good. (laughs) A week after he was discharged from the army, he stole a car and changed the license plates and used that to then rob an auto repair shop to steal a bunch of tools that he would use to commit a string of over 12 robberies, holdups, and general thievery that would net him over $70,000 Worth of merchandise, all accompanied by his signature Tommy gun. He would steal cars and make fake license plates, uh, lichen plates for like. werewolves. <laughs> it's how
1: we know what werewolf you are.
0: And then he would sell those cars with new licenses. So he stole a bunch of detonating fuses that he used with some homemade nitroglycerin to blow open safes. He rented out a garage to use as a workshop for all these devious doings. But through all this, nobody got hurt, no victims. But then one day, he got a huge haul of forty thousand dollars worth of sound and film equipment, and he needed a place to fence it. So So he used a pseudonym of Paul C. Norris and made contact with a guy who didn't know that the equipment was stolen. And he set up a date, April 25th, 1946, to come to this guy's house at 1347 Fifth Avenue near Koreatown. But the guy started getting suspicious that this might be stolen. So he told the police. So when the day came, there were two police officers named S.W. Johnson and Colin Forbes. They were watching the house. And then Norris comes walking up. And so they approach him. And when they call out to him, he whirls around holding a Tommy gun and he shoots both of them. Oh my. (laughs) But they were injured, but they weren't killed. And they managed to shoot him him in the stomach and the leg and then he ran into the sewer and escaped so it was it was bad but the officers he shot recovered so he still hadn't killed anyone okay Cut to two months later. Oh, no. June 5th, 1946. I didn't try hard enough the first time. <laughs> I think I should have used sharper bullets. <laughs> June 5th, 1946. The intersection of Los Feliz Boulevard and Brunswick Avenue, a block away from Tam O'Shanter. The exact details are muddled because one of the guys involved in this was trying to cover up his story and the other guy's testimonial came as he was dying and then he died so he wasn't available to That's clarify. That's not a reliable
1: witness. Yeah.
0: Where is he now? <laughs> he skipped down, eh? So either there was a high-speed chase that ended here but more likely Walker was either in the Process of robbing or about to rob a market on that corner, but a CHP officer named Lauren Roosevelt. He called Walker over to his car and asked to see an ID. And Walker reached into his pocket and pulled out not an ID, but a gun. And he shot Roosevelt <laughs> nine times.
1: This is my ID. There's a picture
0: of me at the bottom of the barrel. So according <laughs> sorry, to sorry, he killed the cop. He shot the cop nine times. Okay. <laughs> Please, let's not go casting aspersions.
1: He didn't kill him. He just shot him nine times at close range.
0: So according to Walker, later on, Roosevelt shot first and he dodged it and then returned fire. And then Roosevelt begged him to call an ambulance and told him, I'm not going to do that.
1: Like he's Bartleby the Scrivener. I prefer not not to. to.
0: (laughs) So whether or not that happened, it didn't happen. Walker escaped from the scene the only way he knew how. He ran into the sewer. Cool. Golden State Killer. The Penguin. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The Penguin. So backup came on the scene and they found Walker's abandoned car filled with dynamite and his signature Tommy gun. Roosevelt was taken to a hospital and gave his story and then died shortly after. So yeah, he killed him. His last words to his wife were, I didn't have a chance, honey. Oof. Yep. Oof. So now Machine Gun Walker is a murderer and a cop killer. So the hunt was really on, but they couldn't figure out who this guy was until Walker fell in love. Oh no. And get this, he had a girlfriend. Unfortunately for him, she was Catholic. <gasps>
1: Bob Schuler was right. They're I knew it. Liars. I, Bob Schuler and Two
0: Gun Davis They're were right. Disloyal.
1: If you love me, you'd love
0: that I killed a cop. Love me, love my murder. <laughs> so he bragged to her about what he did, and her being—why would you, okay. Her being the Catholic tattletale? You tell your loved ones everything. Catholic tattletale. <laughs> she went and told her priest in confession, who of course told the police. So then the police. I'm no, not uh, actually a priest. i mean This is a phone booth. You're talking to the operator. <laughs> Now the police know, so they begin to hatch their trap. Finally, oh. December 20th, 1946, five LAPD officers got the key to his apartment from his landlord, surrounded the place at 2 a.m. Three of the officers enter the apartment, Marty Wynn, Earl Rombo, John Rambo, and? and a name I assume you're familiar with, Jack Donahoe. Yeah. Who would be name. in charge of a new case just a month later, the Black Dahlia.
1: That's how I know him. Yeah.
0: Wow. So these three men, they went inside, crossed over to his bedroom, opened the door, walkers crouching in the corner in the dark, trying to hide before he jumps. Oh. He jumped for a Tommy gun he had on the bed before he could get it. Donahoe jumped on the gun and then Win pistol whipped Walker yeah. over the head but he still managed to get a grip on the Tommy gun then Wynn shot him in the shoulder in the back but he still didn't go down and he kept fighting. Like a movie. Yeah. Like until, the end
1: of Scarface. I know. And
0: then he lost too much blood and he collapsed. Wow. So he told the police all right now you have me do a good job.
1: Oh wow. <laughs> okay fair fair fair. <laughs>
0: truce. True truce okay. Inside the apartment they found tons of ammo 20 guns including 6 Tommy guns lots of license plates and bottles of nitroglycerin they also found 3 of his stolen cars nearby including one that had a Tommy gun mounted inside it to shoot at police through the car door if they ever got pulled over he actually did get pulled over just a week before for a minor traffic violation on Hollywood Boulevard and he told the cops in the ambulance on the way to the Georgia Street Receiving Hospital that if those cops had made him get out of the car that day you might have had 2 more dead cops to pin on me Cool. so he also advised one of the married officers officers to get out of this business because it was too dangerous. He made his confession at the hospital, but in court he pleaded insanity, but was proven to be sane. So the judge admitted that he had had a wartime experience that might be termed rugged.
1: Might I add that he tried to come up with a death ray for world peace doesn't really help with the sanity thing.
0: (laughs) Those are the ravings of a sane man. A rugged wartime experience, but so did many others. They're not killing cops. So Walker insisted it was more than that and that his family had ancestral insanity, hereditary, that caught up with him after the war, but in April 1947, he was convicted of first-degree murder, sentenced to death. Six months later, his dad, whose nickname was Johnny Walker, drove his car to 760 West Washington Boulevard near the Rose Bowl, parked it, ran a hose from the exhaust pipe into the car, closed the windows, killed himself. Little after that, Machine Gun was diagnosed in prison with paranoid schizophrenia, but his sentence stayed, and on April 14th, 1949, 36 hours before his execution, guards find him in his cell, paper bag over his head, telephone cord wrapped around his neck. Wow. He's alive, but he was unconscious suicide attempt. Let's reevaluate his sanity. <laughs> Turned out, no less than seven people in his family history had had to be committed to an asylum for insanity. His great-great-great-grandpa, his great- great-granduncle, his great-great-grandpa, his great-grandaunt, his aunt, his grandma, and his grandpa, who was in a mental hospital for 32 years. Both his great-grandpa and his great-aunt committed suicide, and of course his dad, dad. also. Okay. So with 30 minutes before his scheduled execution, it was declared he, that he was driven insane by his death sentence, and execution was cancelled. But he was told that if he ever regained his sanity, he's going to get killed. So with that to look forward to, he was, <laughs> he was sent off to a series of state mental hospitals where he spent his time being alone and reading chemistry books. Until 1959, he escaped from the oh. Atascadero State Hospital near San Luis Obispo before surrendering to a couple of quail hunters in Santa Margarita.
1: You know we don't have badges.
0: <laughs> you don't need no sticky badges. Just, um, I'll, go, I'll Just go back in. Pretend I'm a quail. From there, they sent him to the escape-proof Mendocino State Hospital slash Asylum for the Insane in Talmadge, where he received electroshock therapy until February 1961 oh. where they decided he was once again sane enough to kill. So they sent him back to San Quentin, but he was saved again at the last minute, this time by Jerry Brown's dad, Governor Pat Brown, who granted him clemency on March 28, 1961 saying he's just going to go insane again yeah. with a death sentence. So they got it changed to life in prison. Not much happened for a whole decade after that until yeah. 1971. He petitioned for a retrial saying that his original confession was involuntary and it should be overturned. And finally in 1974, he was released on parole from the California medical facility where he was working in the chemistry lab. <laughs> so now Machine Gun Walker was out free on the streets, this time 30 years older and a lot more electroshocked. <laughs> he got a job as a chemist at an undisclosed location in Southern California, wow. found a wife, changed his name. Now he was happily married Man Walker. He was never heard from again until he died in 1982. Wow,
1: okay. Uh, so you can change if you get electroshock therapy after yep. you kill a cop.
0: Yep. His biggest legacy, though, is the movie they made of his crime spree in 1948 called He Walked by Night, which starred Jim Jack Webb, oh, Jack who was so inspired from his experience on this movie to create his own show, *Dragnet*. Dragnet
1: really? Yeah.
0: So all modern crime TV shows are thanks to Machine Gun Walker. <laughs> thank you, Machine Gun yeah, Walker. Yeah. Thank
1: you for all the the carnage.
0: Thank you for the Carnival of Carnage the that carnival you created. Of carnage. Were any of these people good people that we talked about? Slapsy, None of them. Maxie yeah, was okay. He was a, He was a gambler. Yeah. He's a gambler, but he was the best. He's he the he was the best. He's
1: the best.
0: <laughs> I, I guess if you have a nickname, you're a bad guy.
1: Yeah, good guys don't get nicknames.
0: I was looking forward to this episode. Me too. Yeah, I'm, I,
1: you gave me crime stuff, so why would I be upset? If you have a nickname, you're probably a criminal. You're probably a criminal or you a You might a cop. be a redneck. You might, you might be a cop criminal. You know what would be really
0: criminal? No, no, no! This is going. You don't. This isn't going where it thinks you're going. Leave a review on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> you thought I was going to say Stitcher. Leave us a review on iTunes. Yes, please. Uh, We'd
1: really appreciate it. It helps boost the the podcast. It helps
0: boost the social cachet. It has more legitimacy with more reviews. So if you have an iPhone, just go into your podcast app, leave some uh, stars. You can leave words if you want. If yeah. not, uh, steal your parents' phone. Go right in. Do it. Yeah. Have, I don't care what you do. Well, I, I'm Daniel. Don't care Zafrin. Do it, but yeah. Leave us a review on iTunes if you can. Yeah. that would be great.
1: We'd love that. We have a Patreon page. People can financially support us. Financially
0: support us to keep us going because we don't make any money off of this. Yeah. So it's good uh, you, for as little as a dollar a month. You can you can help keep this show going. It mm-hmm. really means a lot to us. We've We're sending s- we've been sending out postcards to a lot of people at the five dollar level. Mm-hmm. We are working on some really good merchandise yes, that's coming are. up. But yeah, support us on Patreon. There's several levels. It, yeah, uh, it's very good. Like us on Facebook. Look. Follow us on Instagram at lay underscore meekly. A We're lot on. of historic pictures and guns on on. you can see pictures you can see pictures Go on.
1: <laughs> We're on Twitter. We're starting to tweet a little bit more. @la Meekly mm-hmm. at Ali Meekly. The
0: main archive hub la.meekly at Tumblr.com. Um, YouTube.
1: We're All of YouTube. our episodes
0: are on YouTube. Yeah. Feel free
1: to ask me if I'm Greg Gonzalez from Secrets After Sex. I'll, yeah, uh, please. It's funny. Everyone has a good time. <laughs> Except Greg's self-esteem. Yeah. Email us. Yes. If
0: you have any question, comments, suggestions for episodes or if you want to be uh, subject of a field trip. Subject of a field trip episode where we come to your an uh, interesting or a rhetorical place in the city that you or someone you know works. Yeah. Email us la.meekly at gmail.com.
1: If you see us on...
0: Uh, on AIM. Yeah, so, AIM. A-
1: yeah. a- a- if you recognize our handle on LimeWire, download stuff from us. Yeah.
0: If anyone's still on Napster, download, <laughs> download my m M&M CDs.
1: My wrongly uh, described m M&M CDs. I'd, my
0: m M&M CDs that are actually playing Vanilla Ice.
1: <laughs> Any closing thoughts here, Greg? Um,
0: uh, Greg, closing thoughts, Gonzalez? I know, almost called you Greg Zaffron. That's funny. That'd be great.
1: If we got... <laughs> you're taking my name it's not
0: funny yeah <laughs> we've agreed a long time yeah. ago you're taking my name i mean
1: like our last name could be conjoined because my last letter is a z yeah. your first letter is gazafrin. A z. gazafrin i was trying to rack my brain because we we emailed people we emailed mike holland and stuff about nicknames and stuff these were just ones that i was kind of excited about but uh i'm trying to think of like modern nicknames for people and it was kind of hard to jump stuff up yeah there aren't a lot of nicknames anymore there's yeah. like brangelina we're- <laughs> yeah, we were talking about canoe- that, that was the thing is that we had monikers which is not a nickname and then we had titles and we had conjoined relationship yeah. names. Yeah. I can't think of many people yeah, who have. Yeah, modern LA people. But then we won't know to like, Thirty years and yeah. find out who's doing all these crimes, like, Knifey Joe. Or, this is very interesting. Oh, as always, I, I'm thinking like, eh, that can't be that much. And I'm like, oh, well, that's actually yeah. not true.
0: <laughs> let's come up with n- nicknames. You want to do th- nicknames? Yeah, let's do nicknames for each other or for, no, 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 for LA people. for LA people. Let's okay. let's bring that back.
1: Next time we come on the podcast, next episode, we'll have nicknames for people.
0: We'll have brand new nip- nicknames. 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 Nip- <laughs> okay. We'll
1: make a list of people who deserve nicknames, and we'll give them to them.
0: Yeah. So you know, prepare for that. Yeah. We'll spend all of September doing this. My no, birthday we'll su- month. We'll be doing this all month.
1: <laughs> How old are they going to be? I'm going to be
0: 30 years old.
1: Wow. And what what becomes five years old this year? Our podcast. Our podcast. Becomes
0: five years old.
1: Crazy
0: pants. Yeah. So, you know, b- happy birthday to everybody, really. Yeah. It's September. Celebrate. Go out and celebrate.
1: It uh, is actually the city's birthday coming up.
0: They're stealing my thunder. Ah. <laughs> hey, have a good September, everybody. Yeah. It's not as hot anymore, hopefully. Hopefully. Well, it hasn't been hot in a while. Yeah. All right. That's that we're done.
1: We're done. We're done. We're done. We're done, guys. Sorry LA, we're done
0: meekly. Yeah. That's been yet another episode of LA Meekly. Is it booze?
1: No, you're crazy.
0: Since twenty thirteen. We just came up with that on the spot. <laughs> we're witty. We, we're we did, did ablibbing. We did ab <laughs> Wanna see my ablibs? <laughs>